Welcome back, everyone, to We Want More, the Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality Analysis Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Zuber. I'm Brian Deacon. Hi, everybody. And let's not forget to open at the top this time that we are a subsidiary of Doof Media Incorporated. Check out doofmedia.com for all of our awesome stuff. And if you're so inclined, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash doofmedia. That was sweet. We should just keep that one recorded and play that one from now on. Yeah, I, I think so you, tempted you to might be onto something. something. That might have been our smoothest intro. Snarky to like ruin it, but... Of course, all the, all the awesome. good ones we have, we ruined then by talking about how good they were. So. Meta. Let's exactly. see. I'm tempted to hop right into it, but I'm going to go ahead and just digress immediately before we get started and say that I played The Last of Us in the last week. The first one. Oh, the, oh, the first the one. second one. The first one, yeah. I hadn't, I'm, you know, because I like to be late to the party. Um, mm-hmm. When I, I knew the second one was coming out at some point, I was like, oh, I'll try and play the first one before then. And then the second one drops last week and all my coworkers are talking about it. I'm like, well, shit, I need to get on this and play the first one. And I loved it. It was great. It was good. How long, how long, yeah. is, it, how long is it end to end? Um, I didn't time it. Maybe 25 hours. That's pretty good. And I mean, I, maybe 30. Mind. It probably depends on how fast you chug through. I mean, it is a game that rewards you taking a time and walking through stuff and uh, poking around. Part of that's kind of required because resources are scarce. I'm trying to think. Oh, I did have one only gripe, and it was really salient towards the emotional climax slash the end of the game, which, like, it basically autosaves for you every minute. Huh. Um, sometimes maybe every five, depending on like, how far you are into, like, the, you know, the encounter with enemies or whatever. Mm-hmm. But it makes it really low stakes. For like a long plan that you're trying to get going. No, you're not because you're not worried about it because it'll because you can jump back. It, well, because even without like that being part of the plan, it never was. I always played it like this was real. And there's like a a part towards the middle where I'm like, okay, you know, the guy wants stealth. Let's try to do this the stealthy way. Tried it like six times, but it you know it's like three minutes into the stealth thing where it kept blowing up my face. I'm like, fuck it, and I just ran in there and started shooting people, and then I got through that way. <laughs> and so if it was actually punishing me by sending me back half an hour, then you could bet I would have made the stealth thing work out. But uh, now that one, you, you like change which characters you are in that one. Or am I remembering something else? Not in the first one. It uh, changes it for you uh, okay. uh, per awesome story stuff. And I guess the game's seven years old. It doesn't spoil anything to say that you play for a little while as the 14-year-old girl, Ellie. Mm-hmm. Uh, the main protagonist is the 50-something guy named Joel. And uh, he gets... Um, well, uh, it's not a huge deal. Again, it's an old game, and it's okay. just like spoilery. But he gets he gets injured for a while, and he's sidelined. And so then it picks up some weeks later or something, and you're playing as Ellie, and it's like you don't know that going into it until like the game opens up and you're controlling stuff, and you're just like out hunting in the woods, and it's really cool. And you're uh, like, oh wait, uh, so you have to like notice your reflection in something. No, nah, you see it from behind. It's uh, just like oh, yeah, when it's kind of coming down from like the opening screen or whatever. And then it settles on her, and you're like, oh, oh, Joel, we're not moving the camera to Joel? Okay, oh, we're playing as Ellie, all right, let's do this. Um, so it's good, you like that? Because I was thinking of play, playing it. It was good? Strong recommend. All right. Yeah, th- this gets a four and a half out of five Zuber points. <laughs> Zuber points. It would, be, it would be five out of five. My only other gripe, and this is just because, like, the game had to do this to give the scarcity of elements that you have to fight with, but you're characters are remarkably uncreative with what they'll use as a weapon and so like for some reason you can make shivs but like you won't use pens or knives because that would be too easy so like you craft them out of hard to find things and they last once at the beginning of the game so you get to stab one one zombie with it or one person before it just breaks because that's how sharp things work Um, (laughs) um like you can also grab like bricks and bottles and stuff but there's this one part where you're fighting a bunch of these zombies that can't see but they hunt by sound 
and there's like a it's like a museum or something and there's a bunch of like statue heads and i'm like i would love to be able to grab one of these statue heads and bash the zombies over the head with it even if it broke after one hit because it's made of porcelain or something Mm -hmm. it'll still hit as hard as a glass bottle but no Mm -hmm. but again like that's not really a a gripe it was just like i noticed that playing and wishing that like i I wish i wasn't so artificially constrained in what i could use um you know it but but it's good like it it makes it makes you have a very reasonable but not like hyper annoying level of resource management um not not so much like you're managing an inventory but like you know you can be carrying this gun around and you've got six fucking bullets and a Mm -hmm. zombie takes three if you don't hit it in the head and so it's like okay well uh, better make each shot count because you, you don't just like get more you there, there's kind of a mechanic for that i did learn at one point if you're out of health kits and you're dying your companion will miraculously throw one at you which is nice uh, <laughs> it's like oh you've been holding on to that you see me bleeding out over here all right <laughs> but like it it's uh it's a really good game i strongly recommend it and i'm dying to dive into the second one since i got the remastered edition for this one i've actually had it for like four years since i bought the playstation um but it came with a DLC that I'm going to play that, and then I'll play the second one. So join us next week for my analysis of my <laughs> dive into uh, Last of Us Last 2. Of us but this week, we're here to talk about Harry Potter and Methods of Rationality, chapters 74 and 75. So what did you think, Brian? Uh, this is cool. This is, uh, I thought, um, I think I said this to you earlier. So like, this is another one that's like action-packed uh, set of chapters, but it is also some like significant plot advancement, so... I don't, you, we're not overselling it. I don't know if it's going to be like my actual favorite, but it's definitely like, you're not crazy for having it be your favorite chapter. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. Like I said, it's, it's one of my favorites. I think I led you up with saying it was my literal favorite. It has one of my favorite moments in it for sure. Which was that? Uh, that was the, the Tracy bit oh, the, with, where, where bullies learn the true meaning of chaos. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty cool. Especially like, well, yeah. And then not knowing going into it, you're like, not quite sure what to make it i don't know what it is like i guess they were both with tracy but the with um the the moments where it's uh tonks coming in you know tonks in disguise the first time i was like oh is she captain marvel i don't know if that one makes even less sense but then this time i was like oh maybe she's iliana rasputin like where the fuck did that come from <laughs> like how is that gonna fit in i'm like you know it's, it's still plausible it's fanfic they could do anything so you told me iliana rasputin is uh She's Colossus's Ma- yeah, cousin. Uh, I think it's Colossus's little sister. Her superhero name is Magic, but uh, and I forget what the backstory was. But basically, she's like the nice teenage girl, but she can summon demons. Um, and there was some, yeah, like or some, like she made some like bad pact with the devil or something. But it was sort of like like the like hell was some kind of this other non-specific dimension. Um, I like how I like how hell and Satan are literally. Uh, like MCU characters, exactly. <laughs> I mean, and uh, which Satan is uh, this? Hell or not Hellraiser? Uh, fucking Hell. Well, what's the Skullhead guys? Well, I'm blinking. Uh, Nick, Nicholas Cage played him. Uh, uh, yeah, I know. Yeah, on a motorcycle. Ghost, Ghost, Ghost Rider. That's right. Yeah. You block the shitty stuff from memory. <laughs> like in a, it was, in Preacher, it was not the worst movie ever. In Preacher, the devil is a character that like one of the the Santa killers just gets pissed off with him and shoots him. Nice. The devil's kind of like surprised and irritated by it. Yeah, I like the first season of the show, Preacher. 
the show was good. It did a good job because it was it was one of those like it was going to be impossible. You're like, how could they possibly make this into a, into a TV show? And they like made the right choices about like, okay, we're not gonna we can't compete on being offensive because you can't put that on television. So they like didn't try, and then they like changed some things. And I well, here's my first of many Marvel uh, or MCU tie-ins. Uh, the the preacher guy from Preacher was a uh, Howard Stark, the younger one. Oh from yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, the first event. Sorry, I forgot yeah. that. Right. Never forget that hair. <laughs> All right. Oh yeah. So uh, I guess two things. One, uh, Magic has to be the laziest superhero name ever. Seriously, but it's with the K. Oh, so that's oh. you know. Well, you should have said so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Never mind. I, I withdraw my objection. And second of all, um, I like that the the, the tie-in. I think that would completely break the story to throw the X Men into it, but it'd be really funny. I know. It'd be cool. I don't know. If, yeah. I guess. Yeah. She actually was an official X Men at at one point. Yeah. Everybody's been an X-Men at some point or another. We are all X-Men. X-Person. X-People. Yes. X-Force. Yeah. I like I like how Deadpool calls that out. He's like, no, this is just the derivative of X-Men. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. All right. Well, we'll get to Tracy's awesome madness here in a bit. So we start with Harry approaching the uh, defense professor's office. And it's like the, the little beat that he doesn't knock. He doesn't bother because he just knows that the sense he knows he's in there. Knock for him. It's like his internal Geiger counter. Right. And yeah. He's course, like, and he's, was it that? So he's starting to walk away and, and Quirrell's, oh no, like before he even walks up, Quirrell's like, it's not my office hours. I'm deducting 10 Quirrell points just because, because I'm feeling surly. Right. He's, uh, that's his, his grumpy. Uh-huh. Reaction. I also like that that next thing that, as far as the house points, it says Harry stayed calm. Going through Azkaban had recalibrated his scale of emotional disturbances, <laughs> and losing a house point, which had formerly rated a five out of ten, now lay somewhere around zero point three, <laughs> which is the long-winded way of saying, yeah, when you go through yeah, some right. shit, you learn that the little shit doesn't matter anymore. Exactly. Also, fuck you and your magic points. Right. Well, it. it I think it, you know it's not just his magic points. The I think it was ten quirrell points to a house point. Oh, yeah, so he did lose. He did lose a point for Ravenclaw, but I think, again, he, he gives, it's just contrasting this Harry with one from the beginning who was like, oh my God, we got to win. You know, I got to earn exactly. those points because whatever. And he's like, what, fucking school points? Are you shitting school me? We're, I'm at war. Also does sort of like draw attention to what we'll see at the end of the, I think at the end of the next chapter that like the weird like ego wars that that would uh, invoke between the teachers. Well, I give him, I give him a hundred points. Well, I take the hundred points back. Now, fuck you. Infinity plus one. <laughs> Like it's just like this completely arbitrary, you know, random number of points they can give and take away whatever they want. It does kind of make you wonder, like, if house points came with a cash prize or something, I see the students fighting over it. Exactly. It's never really. I mean, I guess like it's art. It's like, I guess, having your team win the Super Bowl. Maybe. It's like it gets you the cup, isn't it? Like at the end of the year. Yeah, but the cup does yeah, fuck all. But exactly. It's kind of like the Stanley Cup. It's like, yeah. you know, hey, the Avs won the last two uh, playoffs like or whatever. You, what's the... What's the final? You're asking the wrong dude. <laughs> I know it's the I know it's the Stanley Cup playoffs. I'm not sure that's what they call the final game or not. Actually, I think the final game in hockey is like the best of seven. That's but, the Rose Bowl, right? Uh, no. No, it's not the Rose Bowl. Maybe. God, we are outing ourselves hard. Well, hell, we're doing a that fan fiction podcast. I grew so. up next to the Rose Bowl in Pasadena. That's why I say that. The Rose Bowl is a place, right? Yep, it's a it's a stadium, football stadium. Okay, yeah. See, that's what I thought. But I was like, okay, well, bowl, cup, I don't know, man. You, you had me, so. All right. Well. The hell are we uh, talking about? Oh, yeah, yeah, Quirrell. 
you wrote that Quirrell is AFU while Gritty Papers. I'm assuming that means all fucked all up. All fucked up. That's right. All fucked up. Mm-hmm. Professor Quirrell was leaning back in his chair, his head lolling back against its rest as a parchment floated before him. Both the different. Both the defense professor's hands rested limply on the desk as though nerveless. He might have been a corpse, except that his ice blue eyes still moved back and forth, back and forth. I know we got, yeah, in this, for both these chapters, we get like a, a lot of emphasis on, on how badly fucked up Coral is. And Just this, to let us know like how much, how much that took a, took a toll on him. And it seems like, I mean, he's clearly worn out before then too. Yeah. It's not really, what's interesting about this is I, I think this might be the first time we see him. Uh, like he's half zombied. Yeah, yeah, and it's yeah, and it's like yeah, and he's yeah, so he's still sort of mentally there. But you know, it's weird. I guess like in retrospect, my I had sort of lumped this together, um, in my head with with how much you know mana he spends on the on the whole subterfuge. Um, but so this is just then holdovers from Azkaban, huh? Just his, um, like his general fucked up attitude, or did, did, I mean, I don't know. Did this play to you as like, oh, there's a cumulative effect of how messed up Coral is, or did did this seem to you as just more one of these like random, oh, he's just kind of zombie mode, like he does every once in a while? I took it as zombie mode. I guess I feel like it's been at least a couple of months since they were in. Africa. Yeah, oh, that's true. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and, not and I probably months, like mixing together several weeks. Well, did, did, oh no, it's. It's been months because, like, it was a couple of weeks before, like, the next battle yeah, or something. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it's been it's been weeks and weeks of the of the heroines fighting bullies. Okay, so this was just like random zombie mode. Well, because the next, like, the next quote zombie mode, at least I saw that as being a an effect of him sort of like draining himself from uh, from the trickery they did. Um, and I think it actually it describes that as being Harry's like, oh, I'm sorry, I drained you, basically. Um, so I guess I kind of like combine those into being the same thing. Hmm. Yeah, now I hear what you're saying. Yeah. There seems to be some because uh, the next one seemed like definitely like oh he just like he completely like exerted himself way too much and that's why he's all drained and messed up. Yeah, this one's well, we'll still very yeah, and this one's still very because it seems like okay, there's definitely some kind of significance to like what's going on when he's in zombie mode, but this one had no cues as to like you couldn't associate it with anything because he it's just Harry randomly showing up at his office so. Yeah, and I remember just because we talked about it when it came up at the beginning, his office hours were like were fifteen minutes a week, mm-hmm. and so he's like, that's like the fifteen minutes a week during not classes that he puts pulls his shit together. I guess maybe. <laughs> oh yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I guess it's been kind of vague, like how how much of his time he's in zombie mode versus normal. Yeah, that's. I'd be curious if it's most of the time or some of the time yeah. or what, but. I guess we'll find out. Maybe who knows? Yes. Um, so, what's, so, so what's Harry doing at his office? Man? Harry has come there to go. Like, what? The, I, I think he did it in the uh, "aha gotcha" tone. Of, like, I had a, I had a falsifiable something, something. You had a falsifiable claim that proved to be wrong, but um, basically, it's like, oh, you know, they are going after Hermione way more than we thought uh, they would. And you said people basically do nothing if left to their own devices, and they have not been doing nothing. Um. And kind of Quirrell's response to that is, well, I think like Harry goes like, oh, so you're sort of wrong about people or whatever. And, um, and Quirrell's like, well, no, there must be something more going on after doing a couple little weird power plays, but I'm not going to tell you. You have to figure it out for yourself. And then he does figure it out for himself. But, but the punchline being, um, Quirrell's like, okay, if there's this amount of, like, if there's this level of intensity on, like, the bullies retaliating, 
at Hermione, it must be because there's somebody with some kind of skin in the game and some influence who's doing this. It's not just like random students being pissed off and taking it upon themselves. Um, and, and that sort of like jumps first, I guess, and then we're kind of in Harry's head about, you know, like, oh, who could that be? And Harry's um, immediately thinking, and he says to Quirrell, he's like, well, I know it's not Draco, and I guess it's because he was like assuming that Quirrell would think it probably, or that Draco would be high on his list of, of suspects. And then he's sort of like talking through that. He's like, I know it's not Draco, but you would know that anyway, because I'm sure you've read Draco's mind by now. Um, and Quirrell's like, you know, Lucius Malfoy's super powerful, and he would just have me assassinated if he knew I'd ever done that to Draco. And I don't, and my like read of that was like, no, he wouldn't. Um, or they maybe would because he didn't know who Quirrell was, but it sounded like the way Quirrell said that was like, oh, I would never read Draco's mind because, you know, Lucius Malfoy would have me killed. I'm like, if you're not reading Draco Malfoy's mind, it's not because you're afraid of Lucius Malfoy. Um, <laughs> So maintaining plausible deniability. Plausible deniability, yeah. Yeah, and I kind of was like, wasn't really, let, may not, there may be like no significance to that other than just like, you know, Quirrell will just lie at random as necessary to maintain cover. But that one stuck in my I'm like, nah, it's not why. Um, and I think, and Harry kind of saw through that though, because, or it wasn't so much that like Harry like nabbed onto it, but, um, cause he's like, no, you could just, you, you know, nobody would be a threat to you. And Harry, and what did Quirrell say exactly? It was something like, oh, yeah, I guess I could have had fun with if they had tried to send somebody after me, that could have been fun or something like that. So he kind of acknowledges, yeah. like, okay, yeah, I wouldn't actually be under any danger. But yeah, Harry tries to, I guess, flatter him a bit, and, yeah. you know, with the, with the goal of, I guess, cheering him up. He's like, oh, he could try to have to <laughs> Yeah, kill. exactly. It's like, you know, we both know you'd be fine. Yeah. Yeah, that's where Kroll's like, yeah, I suppose I could, and pity the assassin. Yeah, exactly, yeah. But then I like his, then this just like little beat, then his head fell back against the chair, lolled to one side, eyes no longer meeting Harry's. But these small games hardly hold my interest as they stand. Add legitimacy and it ceases to be a game at all. Yeah, and yeah. like, I just get the impression he's just like, in addition to whatever his zombie fucking zombie-itis is, he's like, he's bored as hell. Yeah, I got, I got a weird like, the image I got, like that, the combination of him being like all fucked up and physically weak while also being like surly and trying to come off as super powerful reminded me of the, the scene toward the end of the princess bride where, uh, where he's like in bed and can't move, but he doesn't want to like let Humperdinck know that he can't move. So he's got to sound like all intimidating while not moving. That's kind of like the vibe I got off of Coral. Nice. <laughs> well, that would, that would be the second uh, princess bride reference we had in the story then. What was the first? They were when they were, Mad Eye and Snape were pouring potions on what oh, they yeah, okay. suspected probably wasn't Voldemort's dad's grave. Mm-hmm. One of them was Iocane powder. That's right. Yes. So, but yes, like through all this, like Quirrell's being kind of unusually surly, even by Quirrell standards. Um, there's been a lot of really weird, sort of like feels to me kind of like regression on Harry's part because Harry's kind of goes back into the whole like you know wanting to please his master kind of vibe. Um, and it's also especially weird because like the, the bit of evidence that keys you in on like, oh, Quirrell's not in a very good mood is that he's being an abusive asshole and that the response is, oh, let me try, you know, he's being an abusive asshole. Let me do something nice for him. Um, but that's kind of like what's going on in Harry's head is, um, and he wanted to ask, he sort of like 
double, he like checks himself on the way he would ask because he, he basically just wants to say to Coral, like, oh, what's bothering you? You seem, you seem upset, but he knows he can't like go that route with Coral and sound all like squishy and warm and fuzzy. Um, so he says like, well, what you're bored? Well, what would interest you? Um, and it just sort of like cuts there. Or what, what'll cheer you up? Um, it just kind of cuts there. And we sort of like, we later we figure out that so that's, that's Harry. That's the moment that Harry's kind of comes up with their, their fiendish plot, uh, later. Um, and then Harry will tie that in later. Sort of like a big part of his motivation doing that was just to figure out a way to, to cheer Quarrel back up. The whole thing, that, that whole like vibe is kind of creepy. Um, like, oh, you're kind of an evil, abusive shithead. And so the natural response is to try to figure out what nice thing I can do for you. <laughs> I think in Harry's mind anyway, he's, he doesn't quite see it as like the, you know, mentor mentee relationship. I think he's seeing it more yeah. like, you know, my, my friend's having a bad day yeah. and which is, you know, not necessarily an appropriate kind of dynamic between teacher and pupil or whatever. Yeah. There's still but, that weird, like, power. yeah, and you're right. It's not as much like the teacher pupil thing. That kind of power dynamic is different, but there's still like quarrels very much sort of like the dominant presence and being super abusive about it and like abusing his role as being the like dominant presence. Um, right. And so there's still some there's kind of level of creepiness that Harry's kind of completely subjugate himself to the other person's will reaction is, oh, he's being shit. Cause there's like nothing nice about how Quarles acting. He's like, oh, he's being shitty. Let me see if I can do something nice. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll read out the section then read in the, the beginning of the next one. Cause it's funny. Um, so Harry had like offered, well, he, he had said, Hey, you know, what if we can you know, help out Hermione somehow? And he says, she wishes not my help nor yours. I no longer find your concerns so entertaining as I once did, Mr. Potter. Go. And I'm guessing he didn't go. And then they sat behind and, and chatted about the best way to oh, yeah, that's true. Have, a, have a good fucking time. But then uh, it opens up with Hermione. And it says, somehow, even though they were all equals and she definitely wasn't in charge, <laughs> it was always Hermione who ended up speaking first in this sort of situation. The four tables of Hogwarts, the four houses of Spew having breakfast... We're glancing over at where the where they the eight members of oh, I'm sorry, I butchered the sentence. Whatever. Spew is having breakfast. Gathered off to one side of the breakfast hall. But I like this line. Professor Flitwick was staring sternly at all of them <laughs> at the head table. Hermione wasn't looking there, but she could feel Professor Flitwick's gaze on the back of her neck. Literally, Literally feel. <laughs> it was really creepy. <laughs> yes, what does a gaze feel like? I, I'm guessing maybe like him being able to feeling? scream people's yeah. ears on fire and literally yeah. make people feel his gaze maybe that's goblin stuff because no one else does that oh yeah that's right what is the is he supposed to be part goblin is that the yeah he's, he's half goblin he's like half somehow, goblin which means at some point some witch or wizard saw a handsy handsome looking golem troll looking thing golem and said it could have been, been the other it, it could have been a really hot goblin chick <laughs> I'm, I'm sure that the the hottest of the goblin world is just uh you know, you know there's porn uh, for everything Oh, God. <laughs> You're right. Uh, Google Goblin porn. I'm not gonna do it. You, well, that's, as they say, that link is staying blue. So, <laughs> all right. You know, it's so, awesome though is that somebody at least right now listening to this is googling Goblin porn right now. Whereas I'm gonna have to wait for like a couple hours before we're done recording before oh, I can man. Google Goblin porn. All right, if you find Goblin Porn, go send it to me in Discord. Right. No, I definitely won't be Googling it right now. And then, like, you know. I'm talking to everybody. And then. <laughs> right, so there, 
they're all gathered off to the one side. So oh, you just yeah, I did. Oh, wow. Oh, that man. is nice. I love the world. That is good <laughs> stuff. Well, uh, minimize that tab no, for right. now. I got a show <laughs> good times. I guess I'm glad it exists if people want it and, you know, whatever. Have you a know, great time, everybody. Between, I'm not shaming anyone. Between consenting goblins. All right. Whoa, whoa, so, whoa. Oh, yes. They're, they're, they're got, the Speed is gathered off to one side to talk to Harry because he had said, hey, I want to um, ask you guys, like, hey, uh, basically, he, he leads in, I want to offer you my protection as the boy who lived. Mm-hmm. Um, and Hermione just says, Harry, you know I don't want that. And he's like, you know, some of them are my friends, too. And he's like, he goes around the circle and they all yeah. say no until they get to Tracy. Yeah, it wasn't until like a reread realized like the, the significance of that as, yeah, so Tracy's willing to be protected by Harry, but only because she sees that as like a cool, like, oh, then he'll be my man thing. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I just like her whole like, really? She gasped, oblivious of the stabbing glares that every other girl was directing <laughs> at her. Her hands flew artfully to her cheeks, although she didn't actually manage to blush. <laughs> and her her brown eyes were, if not shining, at least open very wide. You'd do that for me? For me? I mean, I mean, of course, absolutely. Uh, of course, absolutely, General Chaos. <laughs> so <laughs> just the the sheer obliviousness just put a smile on my face. And so then we get a short segment here where Harry goes around to the other tables, I guess mainly to Gryffindor and Slytherin. I guess yeah. there aren't Hufflepuff and Ravenclaw bullies? No, they're too too well-adjusted for that. Yeah, that makes sense. Hufflepuffs are, are too nice and they're you know, too busy. I think, like, in that final like, scene, cause I know, like, the, the big ambush thing. Yeah, maybe I, I can only, like, specifically recall um, Gryffindors. But I got the, like, that whole that whole thing, I got the, at least the vibe I got from it was that it was all people from all the houses kind of at random. But it wasn't, like, you know, a set of specific houses. I think it might have just been, um, I mean, if we're running with our... You know, Ravenclaws and Hufflepuffs are either too busy or too friendly to not bully people. Mm-hmm. It could just be, you know, the united bullies of Gryffindor and Slytherin. But we never really get so, to see everyone who's under the masks. So it's true. Anyway, he walks around saying anyone who messes with uh, Tracy Davis in particular will <laughs> learn, quote, the true meaning of qua- of chaos, unquote. Yes. And that again. And I like this. You know, Draco's just been stretched thin this both of these chapters. It was with considerable <laughs> restraint that Draco Malfoy managed to prevent prevent himself from slamming his head repeatedly into his plate of toast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like we had this like recurring theme of Draco as like the you know bewildered voice of reason. He's like, "Oh, you fucking idiot!" <laughs> the best line that he has is at the end of the next chapter, or no, at the end of this chapter. But I pulled it out. We'll get there when we oh, get yeah. there. Um, and what? Yeah, I didn't. I I didn't put together until afterwards. So we get like we see later in. Harry and Hermione have their whole interchange about, you know, why don't you ask me about these things, Harry? But um, that this was on purpose because it does seem like, oh, this is a terrible way to try to get people not to attack. Um, and that this was a way of, and, and I said kind of a very Dumbledore way of Harry kind of did this on purpose to goad them into doing it so that he could go after them. Because um, in his head, he sees this like, that's the only way out. It's like, we can't stop this from happening until we, capital S, stop this from happening. So. Well, now I feel silly. I never even having had all, again, I think we did this last episode, I had all the pieces, but I never put that quite together. Like, obviously, this is deliberate setup on Harry's part. Yeah. Then, 
Draco's not slamming his head into his breakfast, but he's thinking they weren't except they weren't exactly scientists, the bullies of Hogwarts, yeah. but even they, Draco knew, were going to want to test it. And of course Harry knew that too, which is why he bothered to go around telling everybody that. Yeah. Yeah, especially yeah, yeah, if you, I, like, yeah obviously. Yeah, I, yeah, I didn't you, think about that. And if he frames it like that, it's like, oh, they're not scientists, and then I kinda bring that back to you, well that's how Harry would have looked at it. But then also like that's pretty much exactly what Dumbledore did to Hermione. Which was like, okay, I'm going to try to, like, by telling them not to, that's the best way to get them to do it. Um, right. Yeah. His, uh, his very inspiring heroine speech to Hermione. Exactly. So let's yeah. see. We get a short uh, break here. Um, or rather, like, a, another We're short little section. Yeah. And yes. Daphne gets a note, another note. Um same with a time and place for, okay, there's going to be so many bullies here, and this one's super important. Um, and uh, and Hermione almost lets it slip. She's like, oh, wait, wait you got a note? But I didn't. Hermione's about to say, like, oh, but I didn't also get a note from Santa Claus or from S. Um, but she doesn't know. Oh, like, we haven't ruled out Satan. Say, oh, yes. We talk, were talking about Satan earlier as far as oh, the yes. character. Yeah. Actually, I think they were specific. I can't remember now. I think they were specific about which like demons were down there. They, being Marvel, they probably weren't going to like try to like go right at the wrath of the Christian conservatives of the 1980s. God is in the. So, yeah, think, exactly. <laughs> it's super Jesus. Um, <laughs> that's a shitty power, Jesus. And water into wine. That's it. Walk on. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm imagining the, the battle at the end of Endgame, and I'm like, I don't know, Jesus with his canonical feats would have been all that much hell. <laughs> <laughs> um, hey, you know that river that's overflowing that Doctor Strange is stopping? Well, now it's wine. That's wine. Sweet. It's plot rules. Um, all right. I was going to say that. Oh, yeah, but um, wait, what was I, I going to say? Yeah, sorry, um, I ruined it. Uh, I Hermione didn't get a note from S. Oh, yeah, and she almost let yeah. that yeah. slip. And then that's, again, another... Uh, didn't put it she and she even does um like say at the end you're like well how do we know that's a legit note because the only way the only way anybody could know about these things is if they were in on it which until i read that it hadn't occurred to me um because i was you know all in on okay this got to be some kind of time travel something something um but so and that, that is the hermione is basically right like okay if in She's mostly just keying that off of, well, they got a note, but I didn't, so there's something fucky going on. Um, but yeah, so that, and that was, and we don't know at this moment that, okay, it wasn't a good note, but she's basically pretty much right that the, we find out later this was not a legit note, that the, uh, Slytherins have figured out the whole, uh, passing a note around thing. Um, and so they faked one, and, and so the Slytherins now know that it's been Millicent Bolestrode. Millicent? Millicent Bolestrode. Yep. Um, so this is a fake note, but we don't at this moment know that. Um, but they do just decide, they're like, oh, well, duty calls. Um, and Hermione, or, uh, yeah, Hermione is doing the Professor McGonagall's. Yes, yeah, so I like that. That's good. We, I not, put, it occurs I me. heart Hermione in the notes. Have we? When was the last time we saw McGonagall? I'm trying to think now. Mm. We're drawing attention to it a couple times because she's conspicuously gone in the last scene of the next chapter. But uh, we saw her during the scene where Hermione was tripped into that uh, whatever Quidditch guy. Um, uh, oh yeah, Dumbledore, yeah, you're right. Dumbledore put his hand gone. on her to keep her in her seat. I guess. Yeah. 
I just got a little twinge of paranoia. I'm like, wait a minute, where the hell is McGonagall been? Who knows? Oh God, she's um, dead. I know. I'm and sure she's somebody's off. done this by now. She was just gone. She's off rallying the troops or something, something, something. Um, it could be. I mean, that might, you know, as long as we're putting on our paranoid hats. I, mean, <laughs> I, I imagine that everybody in the Order of the Phoenix is actually kind of busy, right? That's true. Oh, yeah. She's she's a card-carrying member. And it, yeah, it didn't occur to me until, because it did seem where I guess, well, we'll, we won't get there until the final scene at the end of the next chapter. It's kind of interesting that she was gone. But so anyway, you know, we sort of flash forward to uh, Scooby-Doo scene again mm-hmm. of... Uh, uh, so they, so they, they just says, decided, okay, maybe there's something fishy about the whole note, but you got to do what you got to do. Um, so they've decided to go to where they have been summoned. Um, and then we got a, and then it's another cut and it kind of describes as, um, you know, as that the goon squad is forming, uh, the paragraph I pulled was nobody seemed to know where the word began or who had first spoken it, but it named the place and it named the time. And it said that the color would be white. Um, and it kind of like names like different people like showing up. And I had a first like we've got no context around this as it's being said, except we kind of know that like things are winding up to some kind of conflict coming. But my first entirely incorrect read of this was that, okay, the, and maybe because of the color white, I don't know, but that that these weren't the bad guys getting ready to do a an ambush, but that this was like the other students in, in the houses deciding that they were going to themselves gang up on the bullies that's sort of like a like oh we have decided that we're all going to be good and and cut this shit out and what i thought was like okay maybe because then i i think i talked last episode about how i'm like wanting to see like how does what's the hermione flavor of being a hero and so i had this like moment of oh maybe like the hermione way of being a hero is that she got everybody to do what she had what you know her and her fellow heroines had been doing which was and that if you get everybody to stand up to the bullies then the bullies are fucked um, which was like an awesome idea and completely not what happened, but it was good for me. That would have been nice. Uh, yeah. I guess Quirrell was right that most people will just people suck. Yeah. Um, easy points. Yeah. The only thing that like it names four known bullies on the way there, um, mm. like all these names you've heard before and, but it could have been that last sentence on its own Yeah, could have been like its own separate thing where all the other people, all the bullies are getting notes. And then this other circuit is going around of like, all right. And then, you know, us, the, the white, the white robed people mm-hmm. will show up to fight all the bullies. I know but, there are like two ways to go there. Cause you're like, Oh, the color would be white. And you'd be like, Oh, they're all dressed in white. And then it actually, that almost like makes it more sinister as you see them all come out. I'm like, Oh, this is a straight up clan thing going on. Nice. I didn't even think about that. Well, it's not just white robes cause they're hooded. And that's like how yeah. Quirrell's able to, to yeah. hide in it. So yeah, it's a bunch of dudes in white robes wearing with white hoods. Kind of only one way to go with that. I somehow managed and not to look all the way down that way. I they're guess. not the Kiwanis. I was just thinking, like, I, I, I guess I'm not really sure, you know, I'm like, because they can transfigure their clothing. They probably didn't bulk order white robes. That's true. Um, so they could have just as easily done black. Maybe the white was just... I mean, now that you pointed out, it may have explicitly been a clan thing. Oh, it had to be because it, was, be it was, wasn't just white robes, white robes with hoods. Because you could have done, like, if you were going to go for some other vibe, you could have done, like, masks or, you know, you could have gone anywhere with that. But yeah, a, a mob of dudes in white hoods. Only one way to go with that image. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Well, on the plus side, they get their comeuppance, which is very exciting. Yes. So yeah, this was a cool got, scene. Yeah, it opens up with Super Susan telling them like all right look 
if if shit gets real, then you guys run away. Otherwise, you guys are just civilian targets. I have to worry about protecting. Um, <laughs> yeah, and in, the, in the rest possible. of in their heads, for the rest of them, they just think that there's like it's just Super Susan, and she, there's like some unexplained like they don't know that this is Tonks. Only Susan knows it's Tonks. Right. Which then it occurs to me now, saying that like where the hell is Susan right now? Huh. She's just you know. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I guess maybe when she's doing this, she just hides in her dorm room yeah. or something. She's just watching YouTube. Right. I hear sure my friends are getting their asses stopped. <laughs> but yeah, so we do get a little. I like. I hope. I hope we keep uh, keep up with more Tonks. Um, it'd be cool, also, if, like if she's able to just sort of like, you know, be openly, you know, out there as a character instead of this little pretend to be Susan Bones thing. But um, oh wait, no, is it Susan or Tracy? No, it's Susan. Yeah. Yeah, um, Susan is. Uh, yeah, Tracy. Tonks. Oh, and it's Tracy who uh, I guess I thrown those together in my head, but. Um, so we There's do, eight yeah. names. I don't know if I can remember all eight. Yeah, of them exactly. Yeah, that's right what I was away. gonna say. Like the, all the bullies' names are just word salad for me. So, um, but yeah, so we do see we get a little bit of the background, like how, and that was a question I had. Is like, okay, if she's still a student, then like, how is she this like completely over the top badass? Because she's not like a an adult or or a professor. If she is just another student, she's like way better than that. And so she does say, I think it was I can't remember one. Of, so one of the other uh, heroines. Says like basically like how how are you able to be this badass? And she says if a famous or offers to oversee your summer internship, just ignore anyone who warns you that he's a terrible influence or that you're almost certainly going to die. Um, I like that. And I guess and at first reading that I'm like okay I guess I was going like I'm like was Loop, Lupin wasn't an or so is that I'm like oh, okay so is it Mad Eye Moody? And then you pointed out like uh, she does say like sorry Mad Eye later. So I guess that's what the and like not, that's not. In the originals at all, is it? Like, there's no, there's no like kind of explicit connection. Yeah. Um, Actually, I can't even remember off the top. Was she an Or, or was she just? I guess she must have been. I just remember being like not the Order of the Phoenix. I'm not sure if she went to Or classes. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't remember if she was like specifically an Or. Although I don't think in the in the original books that Or as an office was as like important a thing. Like that wasn't the one and only way to be a badass. Um. Yeah, I mean, it's worth pointing out that Dumbledore, I don't think, was ever in a war. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, it was, it was sort of like less of a, I think we've got more of an emphasis on it in this, of the kind of importance of being an aura. Um But yeah, yeah, I guess I just, like, if you just were to ask me at random, it would just be like, oh, she's just some random badass. <laughs> One of the random badass good guys. Um, yeah, that's how I took it. Yeah. But, but I, uh, I like her... Uh, um, <laughs> Yeah, so she says sign up for the R preparation program and ignore anyone who says to uh, not work with a famous mm-hmm. or and it, like just the the humor of that because we know like that one of the people I, I mean I'm just guessing but you know from the the brief time we spent in Moody's head like it's probably clear that it's like you know you could just imagine him saying all right listen you're probably gonna die if you work for <laughs> she's just like I'm fucking in let's do this yeah she does die in doesn't she or is it yeah. She dies and then Lupin's left to raise their kid, I think. Right I the other way around. which way it goes. Spoilers. Yeah, I think she dies. I think maybe she dies in the battle. I think she dies in the battle Hogwarts. Or does Lupin I die? I feel like it's a much more Lupin thing to die. I mean, yeah, it would be. But I want to say like they had a kid and then she died. Yeah, I can't remember now. Yeah, I can't remember uh, either. Bummer. Um, I wonder if a, if a metamorph magus and a werewolf procreate if their child oh, yeah. can just turn into a werewolf at will. Huh. 
Interesting. All right, well, we'll save that for the rule 34 people, too. So... Moving on. So, but she does have like um, a, a, a any other badass talks moment though. Is she's just kind of like, oh wait, stop! And then she just sort of like out of insta, her, her spidey sense goes off, and she casts what is it, Protico Maximus or something. Um, she's like, oh wait, this is exactly the right kind of place to be ambushed. Uh, and so she quick like casts a shield spell, and it is exactly the right place to be ambushed. And then was it like six double doors swing open? Yeah. And and then forty clansmen pop out. Yeah, white robes filed silently forward, all concealing white robes without house marks, or without marks of house affiliation, and white cloth hiding the faces beneath the hoods. Yeah, yeah, at least especially yeah. triangle hoods. Exactly, but, but yeah, yeah especially like put it in that way about like oh, and then that covers up. You know, this is to make them anonymous. Um, mm. Totally clan. Yep. Well, that's about right. But anyway, like I said, they get they get what's coming real good. So um, now they're realizing that. Oh shit! It was a setup, and the bullies are like, "Oh yeah, that wasn't from Millicent Bolstrode," and uh, points out that they notice that every day that they go off and fight bullies, Millicent was sending off a, a Slytherin message. Yeah. So they're like, "Yeah, uh, pretty funny," uh, or pretty soon someone else will uh, take notice if that happens. So we'll have a talk with her when we're done with you, and then Miss Susan, can you be super enough to? <laughs> and then. It just says many hands rose and a series of blinding flashes. Actually, it's the blinding flashes of green light, but I'm guessing that's the green light of the uh, shield-breaking hex. And not um, 40 Avada cadavers. Right. That'd be some pretty serious business. But then, like, so they, can you be super enough to? And they just blast the fuck out of her and she <laughs> collapses to her knees. And they're like, no, she can't. <laughs> no, she can't. And then, then it goes to a little bit more like Quentin Tarantino Mexican standoff vibe. Um, but the, and then this part like totally confused me. Then was there? Then somebody shouts "Hominum Revelio," um, and suddenly Snape's there, but only long enough to get his ass completely kicked, which I thought was pretty funny. So it's like, so Snape apparently was just invisible, except invisible and wearing a white robe. I can't remember now. No, I think he, just he wasn't wearing a white he wasn't robe. Wearing, he, he was, was just there disillusioned. That's right. And that's the anti-disillusionment charm. And I just, I think it's funny that like on reflex, they all just fire at the, oh, no. at the human shaped figure that showed up and take Snape down basically immediately. Yeah. He doesn't even but have time to like is, say anything. He's just like, he's revealed and then has his ass kicked. Right. And like, I, maybe they would have recognized Dumbledore immediately because he's a much differently, you know, he, with his whatever stature and his yeah. giant beard. But like, if they just shot at the first human-looking thing to start disillusioning in the hallway, mm-hmm. like, how insane would this have been if Dumbledore was there and they just tried to shoot him? <laughs> exactly. like, well, shit, sorry. You guys are all expelled, and uh, I, I don't know. I want to read that fan fiction. But <laughs> yeah, this also was confusing too. for me, This and kind of like what I was talking about like last week. It's just, like, there's a level of, like, not knowing what was going on where it's just like, wait, what am I? And just feeling like you're not following along because it wasn't, like in retrospect, you're like, oh, okay, you know, hominum revelio is how you see if somebody else is uh, invisible or whatever. But um, like my first read of it was, oh, somebody cast some kind of spell and appeared out of nowhere. Um, so it, it sounded like, oh, like he de-invisibled himself uh, and then got shot down. And the whole thing was, it was just mostly just a, like a whole confusing mess of like, okay, wait, what just happened other than, okay, I guess Snape was there and now he's unconscious on the floor. Um, but so that, that whole thing was weird. And I guess now that you and I kind of talked 
through it that it was probably Quarrel um, that cast it. Although now if you could see, but it probably wasn't Quarrel because if it was Quarrel, he wouldn't have had to say anything out loud. It but he might have to maintain plausible deniability. Yeah, I guess so. But but yeah, so the whole thing was kind of kidding. But the short version, and then what we, re- what at least what I realized later is what the fuck was he doing here and what was his alibi for it after the fact because he did like fuck all. All he did was like appear and get knocked out immediately with no explanation of why he was there or, you know, what he was going to say was the reason he was there or, you know, what were his actual reasons for being there. Um, it's just now he shows up and then gets shot. And um, no one talks about it. I know, and nobody mentions it later. Blasted a teacher unconscious. I know, and they're like, ah, whatever. And nobody mentions it later, and so, yeah. I you think notice it, you are confused. I do, yes. It, it was, you saying that, I'm like, oh, okay, I was That's not just a thing. But, I mean, yeah. I, that, I mean, if, you're, if we're going to put on our you know, the author's writing this in front of a live audience thing. That's exactly the kind of shit that Reddit would point out. Be like, the fuck happened there, man? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that's like what I said, like, and that's like totally valid in that in that context, but that's what like kind of like stops working in this is because it's really, uh, it's like a mental drain to try to keep following along with all that stuff as you're just trying to read. Um, no, it's mental exercise and it's awesome. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> I'm lazy in all forms of lazy. I'm lazy in nine out of ten forms of lazy. <laughs> uh, lazy and bored. The boredom is the only way to kick you out of being lazy. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, so that, that like just sort of like happens really quickly, and then they're back to like you know, then they point their guns back at the uh, at the heroines, and uh, and then Tracy's like the hey, wait a minute, um, don't you guys remember I'm under the protection of the great and powerful Harry Potter. So you're going to let me go. Right. And she's like a little bit sunny, a little bit more scared than she wanted to sound in saying that. Uh, and then, uh, one of the Cobra Kai says, Nope, sorry. Um, and so then she starts her super awesome Ilyana Rasputin routine. Um, (laughs) (laughs) with a buzzer, like really, like I totally didn't get, I think I actually did recognize. I'm like, is that Dr. Seuss? Sounded like the, I can't remember what it was now, but, uh, yeah, a bunch of like in jokes of all of the ways that she's, uh, summoning Harry Potter demons. Um, but it's, yeah, and it's, it's pretty fun. cool. It's, how, like, well, go ahead. Go. I was going to say, it's funny. Like I'm, I'm imagining, you know, I, I might've picked up the Dr. Seuss sounding parts because mm-hmm. yeah, I haven't read a lot, but it sounds Seussy as all hell, but like, Akathala Mundatus Sum. You know, like Mabra, Bahamoring, Mabra, whatever, like all of that. I'm assuming just Harry was like, all right, I got to write a fake dark ritual. Let's see. Uh, oh, got to throw in some Lovecraft. Oh, some yeah, Dr. Exactly. Seuss to make it funny. Uh-huh. And like, so, at least, I, you know, like reading that, you're like, okay, every one of, none of these things are random noise. Every one of these things is a reference to something. <laughs> and right. then it's like the game of like, how many of these can you figure out? I was like, I only got half of one. I'm like, I think that's Dr. Seuss and the rest of them was like, and yeah, I think he mentions what Shogoth or something at the end when talking to Quirrell. I'm like, okay, I rec- there's, like, I'm not even saying that right. So I got one. I'm like, okay, I recognize, couldn't have said it, but that's Lovecraft. And then maybe Seuss, and that's all I got. Yeah, that sounds about right. But, but I something like that. about Mundatus Sum or something means like I am the world or something like that. But that's it. Oh, right on. There you go. That's my yeah, one, my one like, year of Latin. Nice. Yeah, you got to flex that Latin. I know, right? It's, it's really all paying off now. Well, actually, it will. I think uh, we get the. I think it's the end of the next chapter. We get some Latin. Oh uh, yeah. So Although I don't think that, it's yeah, translated. I, I, tra- I tried to Google. There isn't a a, a nice. Uh, oh, it's just it, it's just the uh, 
the it's a Latin translation of the quote from Gryffindor. Oh, I know, um, oh, yeah, but I'm yeah. curious if it translates translates exactly or not. I bet it's I close. It does, yeah, it's pretty close. I happen to know you crowdsourced how to Latin tra- Latinize uh, it. Or I tried to look up. Uh, there isn't a, like a nicely translated, obvious like translates in both directions cleanly. Uh, I wanted to in our notes. I wanted to type out the words for it. It sounds more important if you say it in Latin. Um, oh man, in Latin, and it doesn't like you can say it, but it doesn't like doesn't go in but it's not obviously what it means in the other way that that would be like the first sentence i demand to learn if i was taking i know exactly oh well anyway so what's fun is like when she's chanting they at i think after just like a few like yeah they all verses yeah. of her chant they all go to shoot at her and then <laughs> well, like it was, and it wasn't just like some like magic shield dispels it it's a very like demonic man, magic shield that dispels it so it like totally stuck with the uh the theme and like the 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 bullies that erected these black barriers at either end of the hallway, and now they are gone, but they're replaced by like this like tiled slats of dark metal mm-hmm. that look like they're stained with blood, and um, <laughs> like there's this palpable feel of some dark will pressing down on them, tingling the air as the air builds and builds and builds. And this is actually really well done in the audiobook. Oh, yeah. um, like the uh, there's like the music vibe. There's this. I'm not sure what the sound effect is to kind of add the emphasis to everything. Um, the only hard part, and I love the voice actress who did Tracy Davis. Like, I think that the voice is perfect. It's just a downside that it sounds like they're recorded in like a gymnasium. Mm. Um, so it, it's hard to make out really any of it, but that's just me being, I guess, an audio snob. Um, I'm not that audio snobby. I mean, how much effort do I put into editing this? Um, anyway, she's like... There's this nice beat where Hermione's like, you know, Tracy, you've got to stop. And she's like, Tracy's like smiling all crazy. And she's Mm -hmm. doing the, oh, this is the part where uh, Inyash does like the, like this under deeper tone to like darkness beyond darkness, deeper than (laughs) pitches black, buried beneath the flow of time is awesome. And then uh, like, what are you doing as Pravati's trying to stop Hermione from grabbing Susan? Like, we don't know what'll happen if it's interrupted. And she's like, well, what happens if it gets completed? And she's screaming as close as she'd ever come to a total brain meltdown. And then Susan just is kind of collapsing. She's like, I'm sorry, Mad-Eye. I'm sorry, <laughs> like, Mad-Eye. Right. Basically, everybody's losing their fucking shit. At some point, the bullies are, like, just pounding on the doors trying to get them to open back up. And, like, and I'm trying to like, going crazy. I'd like think after the fact about it. So if, like we know, so we find out that this is all actually Quirrell doing all of this. Like then it makes me wonder, like to what extent was Quirrell like coached on like the aesthetics of this whole scene? Did like it, was this Quirrell going off of his like own understanding of what like dark rituals would sound like, or is this like Harry gave him pointers on what would be like go for the best effect? So it's sort of funny to like think about it because like in this first read, you're like, oh my god, maybe there's some like, did she, is this something that like Susan Bones could do? Wait, wait, that's not Susan Bones. Um, so you're like wondering when you don't know like where this is coming from, but then after the fact, you're like, okay, if this is all like stagecraft, then what, what were the the production notes put into this? You know, I think when I was reading this for the first time. I was reading this too fast to theorize like what the hell is happening. No, yeah, me too. Actually, for and me, so, like at reading it for the first time, I'm like, that's where I go, like, oh my god, maybe it's like Ileana Rasputin, like, like especially because fan fiction like puts kind of everything that's a little bit too ridiculous, but not so ridiculous that part of your brain isn't like, okay, maybe we are just like going to bring in Marvel characters. Yeah, maybe, um, I mean, everything's on the table. Right? Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, for me, I was just like, oh wow, where are we going with this? Um, <laughs> 
but yeah, yeah I like the, that it's sort of like brought like the the imagery felt a little different like even though it's like totally like kind of supernatural whatever but like the kind of demonic vibe to it is like not Harry Potter-ish so it's kind of like like amusingly conspicuously out of place you mean not Harry like Harry not, Potter yeah, not, not not Harry Potter world yeah, no, gotcha. not, not Harry's, yeah, totally. but yeah it's, it doesn't fit with the whole like rowling vibe yeah um, it definitely fits with with harry james potter evans Varys yes, vibe yes. where he's like make it as dark and fucked up uh-huh. as possible this will be really funny i imagine that was all the coaching he gave, he gave quarrel yeah. and then you know it ends with the hallways in pitter or in, in pitch utter darkness and the only thing that anyone can see or hear is Tracy as she's hovering above the ground with her eyes changed to Harry <laughs> Potter's green. And she snaps her finger like thunder. And then it's a line break. Yes. Yeah, I like and how we like Her- sort of like leave that. We don't like, like some, you know, Cthulhu Harry is about to show up or something. Right. We never get the full digest uh, of what happened yet. But it was just like, you know, you know, shit went down. And then it line break. And then we get... Harry had chosen to assume a, re- a rather relaxed posture mm-hmm. as he sat in, the, in a low chair before the mighty desk of the headmaster of Hogwarts. One leg cocked over his knee, his arms sprawled casually to either side. I just imagined him like in his lazy, mm-hmm. like, Go on. Hey, you know. So, oh, yeah. so. <laughs> yeah, what's up, man? I mean, so, yeah, the other thing that's funny, like, to think about it after the fact is that Tracy Davis totally is bought it. Like, she's doing this. She thinks it's all real. She's just sold her soul <laughs> to Harry, and now she's going to be his girlfriend from now until eternity. Yeah, that, it's, it's funny because she doesn't know. Yeah, that she thinks it's all real. There. And so she must, I mean, like, Hermione knows there must be a trick. Yeah. Everyone, you know. More than half the people there probably guess there's some trick to it right away, but that doesn't mean that they're not in danger or things aren't mm-hmm. scary. But Tracy's like, "Oh my god, this this crazy ritual he gave me is working, perfect." And, uh, and she keeps yeah, living it all the way through no the next doubt, day. She thinks it yeah, was she the no real deal. Just drink it, drink the Kool Aid all the way down. Well, then that makes me wonder, like, since, like we just sort of cut scene there so that we could all fill in with our imagination, but like for her to then walk into class the next day dressed all like emo chick, Harry's girlfriend emo chick. Um, like what happened? What did, what did she experience when we faded to black? Uh, you know, what, what did happen when the demon of Harry was summoned from the netherworld, uh, that she thought was so cool. Or maybe she just kind of fainted and like give her some fuzzy memories or something. Yeah. I'm guessing fainting is probably the yeah. easiest way to handle it, but maybe she was awake for the whole, I don't know. We'll find exactly. out. Actually, no, no, we I'm don't find out. It's all left like super vague. Yeah. I it's think kind of better that, that way. Is- I think that from the bully discussion at the beginning of the next chapter that everyone stayed awake. And so I think we'll, we'll analyze it when we get there. But anyway, we cut to Dumbledore and I just like how he's doing his whole thing. He says, were you responsible for this? <laughs> I cannot deny that my influence was at work. <laughs> responsible, such a strong word. Yeah, I, you know, of, of course it has my signature all over it, but. <laughs> And then he says, do you think what you did today was appropriate? And he says, totally does. Yeah, well, then, yeah, so they get their, you know, this is back on Let's Destroy Azkaban stuff again, right? Yeah. Like, uh, Harry's whole thing is, you know, look, uh, they came there with the direct intent of hurting Hermione Granger and seven other first-year children. I'm not, if I'm not too young for moral judgment, then neither are they. No, Headmaster, they did not deserve to die, but they did deserve to be stripped naked and glued to the ceiling. Yeah. Yeah, I thought, I mean, so there was, like, the really cool, like, action part of it. I think these were the two 
parts of these these chapters that I like the most. This I think was my favorite, like not blowing shit up part of these chapters. This interchange between Harry and Dumbledore was my favorite because it's actually I think it's pretty complicated. Um, and I can imagine there's people that have taken completely opposite uh, views of how, how to interpret all of this. Um, but he has like Dumbledore has like a very kind of mature conversation with him, and Harry at least like my vibe like already not liking douchey arrogant Harry. He kind of like drops a little back into that. But I think not in a way. I think Dumbledore says things that are to actually says some very well spoken things that I'll read in a second. Um, but then Harry also kind of like rebuts in ways that you can't just completely dismiss as, Oh, he's just being an arrogant dick. Um, but so, and I, you and I kind of talked about this like back and forth a little bit. I think this is kind of a little bit like we see some very good points from both ends. And I think the, the takeaway from it is this shit is complicated because I don't think I, you know, at least from my, like, I walked away from this interchange between Harry and Dumbledore being a lot more on Dumbledore's side. Um, but not everything like Harry brings up some things, uh, in response that I don't think, you know, you can completely dismiss. So, and the plot yeah. later puts in like this, will t- I'm talking about into the, in two abstract terms right now, but yeah, but later with the, the confrontation between Hermione and the teachers, is kind of a turn of events that very much kind of validates Harry's view of things. Um, so I think this all comes out like kind of complicated. There isn't like a clean answer out of it. But. Yeah, it's it's tough. I I think it's it's fun, and we we'll, we'll go through their their argument a bit yeah. too. But leading up to it, there's just this funny line as well where Dumbledore is just like kind of flabbergasted, and he's like, "As Merlin himself is my witness." I haven't the faintest notion of how I ought to react to this. <laughs> and Harry just says, that's pretty much the effect I was aiming for. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. Yeah, and apparently... Um, oh, sorry. That's where I was going to say. We learned that Quirrell was there underneath one of the rows because... Yeah. Uh, and like Dumbledore, Dumbledore just knew was it, like, yeah. I can't believe you lent him your cloak. That was stupid as hell. Mm. And he was like, well, I didn't. He was actually under one of the one of the robes. And, yeah, uh, I thought that was interesting that... like, So Dumbledore had deduced, but like was certain incorrect that it had to be Quirrell but was wrong in the particulars. He's like, oh, it must have been Quirrell and he must have had the, the invisibility cloak and that wasn't it. So much simpler. Just hide in white sheets. <laughs> the uh, the solution to anonymous racism has been solved long ago. <laughs> right, yes. Um, the uh, like it is one of those things too where maybe Dumb- I'm not sure why Dumbledore didn't just assume that like it, it is the obvious way I guess because like when you're thinking hey I've got this awesome super tool for hiding why don't you just use that mm-hmm. um, but then like they probably didn't even need to bring that up when they're when they're laying yeah. out their plan they're just like nah man they're all gonna be wearing masks so I'll just be under one yeah. of those it's fine and uh, it works perfectly um, I do like the other thing too where uh he says, Dumbledore says, I have spoken to the defense professor just before you, indeed. I did not quite know what to say. I told him that this was not the approved Hogwarts policy for dealing with infractions of hallway discipline. <laughs> and that I did not feel it was appropriate for a Hogwarts professor to do what he had done. And what did Quirrell say to that? He said, fire me. No, no, that, I thought that was really well, because that's like, that was such a very Quirrell response to that. Um, like both rude and cold and like just an assertion of power. Like, you're not going to fire me. Fuck off. 
Yeah, it was awesome. Yeah, that was well done. But yeah, I mean, then, yeah, go ahead. No, I was, gonna, I was just going to lead us into the to the real talk that they have. He's just like, but why did Quirrell do it? And he's like, because he doesn't like bullies either, and I ask politely. Yeah. Or it's part of some incredibly deep plot. And then, like, and then unspoken, Harry's like, oh, and I was just trying to cheer him up. Um, right. Yeah, which is again, like, it was such just weird. It's so like sad, creepy, weird. Like, why are you trying to suck up to this guy so much? He does. He's not nice to you. You could do better, Harry. Um, but it was funny, like, so, and I've said this cutesy line before that, like, um, like righteous indignation on the part of people that I agree with bothers me even more than the, than when it's, you know, something I disagree with. Cause I'm like, oh, why are you like causing me that kind of cognitive dissonance? Um, but so like Harry's kind of like gleeful and but like completely certain in his righteousness attitude about like oh but i was beating up bullies just really like rubs me the wrong way i'm just really curious and i got i very convinced that that's like not an accident like weird i think but again it's like this kind of in between thing where uh it doesn't work for me but i can see like people sort of like doing the rah rah okay yeah you fucked you fucked up the bad guys um, but there's also a level of just like, oh, you are enjoying being right way too much and you're way too certain of your being right. Um, that, and that's probably, and that's like probably the kind of thing where people, you know, depending on where on that spectrum you come in, you would see that differently. But I think we're not supposed to see, like, definitely be completely agreeing with Harry and completely disagreeing with Dumbledore, especially with how well written Dumbledore is next little soliloquy is but um but yeah and that was a part of it like just like harry's attitude in this kind of like kept swinging between like okay that's funny and kind of getting wrapped up in sort of the enthusiasm for how cool that scene was um to just being like oh dude you're just way too proud of your ethical certainty um and you sound like a dick but, yeah the one thing that i think is unequivocal um and well, maybe not actually. Maybe it is less. Maybe it is more. Maybe it's equivocal. equivocal than I thought. <laughs> but um, like, you know, Dumbledore mentions Godric Gryffindor. Uh, you know, went from one battle to the next, but he didn't insist on winning everything. But that just puts me in the mind of like, I doubt when Gryffindor won against a bad guy that he felt awesome the way yeah. that Harry feels. Yeah. And there's something about like the exalt, like the exalted, like, oh yeah, we fucking owned it. You know, yeah. like that. That sort of coming down from this is rather uh, and Harry has stopped like unnerving. yeah and now that we're saying that like that is a thing that Harry has that in a good way has walked away from like Harry's sort of new like hero vibe has been this is not about me this is about just what needs to be done right now uh, and being sort of like very humble and he's very much not that during this interchange with, with Dumbledore he's very you know in Dumbledore's face about you know outraged at Dumbledore's indifference to the plight of bullied students and and very much seeing like oh there's only one right thing to do here and I and I chose it because I'm smart enough to see what the right thing to do is so and so it's very different from the kind of this new Harry that we had been seeing yeah I, I'm not sure if it's like it's consistent. It's just like, and well, I, I guess so. Here, here's you, you want to lay out what their actual disagreement is, like because you yeah. got the great Dumbledore quote that that sets it up. Yeah, so I mean, or but, I guess yeah. the one before that too with Quirrell, whatever you prefer. Yeah, well, so it kind of it comes with. So Dumbledore is basically like, dude, people are fighting, like we're having a war in the halls, and like shit has never been this out of hand before. Um, 
And Harry's like, well, yeah, but it should be out of hand because people have been getting bullied this whole time and you've just been sweeping under the rug. And so it's not that it's more of a problem now. It's that now we're not hiding the problem from you. And I put that in the pile of valid points Harry's makes that Dumbledore doesn't have a really good response to. Um, but Dumbledore is kind of, kind of comes back with the more like nuanced, I'm a grown up and you have to deal with the world. Uh, you know, the, heroic decisions you make today, you have to deal with the consequences of them tomorrow. Um, and and that's that's sort of like the brunt of the, you know, they're back and forth for the whole thing. But um, and so Dumbledore's first little quote is, there's a reason why courageous young heroes are not put in charge of schools. Um, and that's kind of, and very much similar to his, like, uh, his basically the same speech about the Azkaban stuff which is like shit is complicated and you have to deal with things as they are and the solutions are not easy my first thought with that one quote there's a reason why courageous young heroes are not put in charge of schools I was like oh so only courageous retired heroes no only cowardly young heroes are put in charge cowardly young heroes are retired old heroes which I guess actually makes sense you want you know a retired hero is you know explicitly different Mm -hmm. right I'm not here to do heroing anymore. I'm here to be wise old wizards. So that's true. That's true. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So the 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 longer little speech he gives, which kind of sums it all up, is thusly: um, the old wizard lifted his head, his face now solemn and calmer. Listen, Harry," said Dumbledore. "Hear me well. For all who wield power must learn this in time. Some things in this world are indeed truly simple." If you pick up a stone and drop it again, the earth will be no heavier for it. The stars will not move from their paths. I say this, Harry, so that you know I am not pretending to be wise when I tell you that even as some things are simple, others are complex. There are great wizardries which leave marks upon the world, and marks upon those who wield them, as a simple charm would not. Those wizardries demand hesitation, consideration of consequence, a moment to weigh the meaning of their marks. And yet the most intricate magics known to me are simpler than the simplest soul. People, Harry, people are always marked by what they do and by what is done to them. Do you then understand how to say, here is the line between hero and villain, is not enough to say that what you did was right. Uh, and then only a Sith deals in absolutes. What's my <laughs> takeaway from that? Um, but like that's sort of a very well, you know, expressed thought and also like a very valid thought and so i think with something like that's when something like that is put in there uh that well it's definitely not something that we're intended to dismiss out of hand but also like um i think like dumbledore does not respond entirely to a lot of harry's valid points and so i think and that's what i think i thought was really interesting about this whole interchange is that they're kind of like really meaty they're kind of like you know, having this meaty debate with each other, uh, and they're both right um, to some extent. Um, yeah, it makes for a good yeah, conflict. Right? Yeah, like I mean, it's it's all fun to watch the Avengers beat up Thanos when Thanos's goal is to ha- annihilate half of the universe. Mm-hmm. I promise that's not the last MC reference in this episode. <laughs> but like, they can make they can make Thanos somewhat relatable. But with that crazy end, you're never really on his side. Yeah. But in this one, I find myself oscillating back and forth. Yeah. And, you know, like, if I had to come down on it, we can, we'll keep talking about it a bit more. But, like, I guess I, you know, because Harry's right in that we can't do nothing. You know, the, the situation is bad for all the kids who are bullied. And those are all the kids yeah. that, you know, are trying their best to be good people for the most part, right? Yeah. Um, 
so like doing nothing isn't an option and that seems to be what you're doing so fuck that i'm gonna turn it the dial 100 percent in the other direction yeah. and we're gonna go fucking balls to the wall with uh as he says um after weighing the expected outcomes as best i could with a boundedly rational intellect i thought it'd be best i thought it'd be wisest to strip the bullies naked and glue them to the ceiling yeah. and like i i think something needed to be done i don't think I, I i question the wisdom of this was the wisest course of action or not wow. i do see the wisdom in it as you point out it's the ender wigan wisdom of it you know let's let's shut it down fucking hard yeah and i'm swearing a lot because it was intense stuff but um let's 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 put a a stop to this not a not a let's not put a stop sign in front of it let's let's slam a brick wall on its face mm-hmm. and we will shut this down yeah and and that'll I, solve yeah. the problem and I, the quote i pulled I don't know to what extent I'm being influenced by the fact that I'm, I am reading it. I'm probably just noticing the things that to me seem very like consciously specifically Ender's game influenced. And this is one of them. Uh, so Harry's response to, um, Dumbledore's that, that speech was, and it wasn't enough to just stop them quietly and quickly. Since then they would just try again later. They had to see that there was a protective power worth fearing. Uh, and that's, but that's pretty much the, that's the Ender Wiggins speech from, from the beginning of like, I, I didn't, I couldn't just win that fight. I had to win every fight after it. Um, right. and so when I see, and then when seeing that, you're like, okay, also clearly we're supposed to agree with that as well. Um, and I think that was what was interesting. It's like we're seeing, and those two viewpoints are completely opposite one another, but also like you can't completely dismiss either of them. Um, so I thought that was kind of cool. Um, but yeah, and then also like keep in mind that as Dumbledore is giving that whole speech about like, okay, life is complicated and you have to, you know, deal with things as they are. He's also the guy that has been, you know, subtly tricking people into becoming heroes and doing this shit. So he clearly doesn't completely disagree with it either. Um, and so, it's weird that he is like bizarrely complacent, you know, like I, I don't know what level of magical attunement to everything going on in Hogwarts you get when you mm-hmm. become the headmaster. But like I, I imagine his head would just be too busy if he is aware of every spell being cast in the building at all times. <laughs> but like, you know, people get hurt and go to the hospital wing and someone's like, oh, that's two days detention. And it's like, dude, they pushed him out a window, <laughs> you know, like it's attempted murder. Th- Right. And that this, you know, whatever, even if it's just like, you know, pushing people down every time you pass them or something, I don't quite get what's going on in the minds of, well, I, I sort of get it in the minds of like, you know, ordinary public school uh, administration. They just, they don't have the bandwidth or the power to do much about it. But like Dumbledore does. Yeah. And he's chosen not to all this time, which is weird. Maybe it's just because yeah. he's 180 years old, however, and he hasn't been a child for almost two centuries or something, and he forgot what it's like, you know, to be pushed down and have someone kick your books and, yeah. you know, just even even the modest bullying, you know, how how damaging that can be. Yeah, and I thought it was like interesting that like the because this then turns into uh, the teachers do actually in order as a way to shut down the the heroines uh, because the shit was getting out of hand. They're like, okay, well, we have to deal with the problem that they were addressing, which is bullying. And I thought that was sort of like interesting that um, it's a that's that's a big takeaway for Hermione is oh okay, I did actually make a difference about a thing that matters, and that bully, I think very validly, but that bullying in school there are many like evils in the world that you know one could target um and i thought it was cool and interesting that like bullying in schools was picked as a as the evil in the world that hermione made better 
Um, and I thought that was, I mean, and I'm like, yeah, you know what? Yeah, <laughs> that is, that does suck. And it is good that you would fix it. Um, yeah. You don't, you don't have to save the world from a sky beam yeah. to, you know, be a hero. And granted too, she's also working within like the bounds of where she's at. Yeah. If she was in a bigger world, you know, outside of her first year of, of education, she might've chosen a more like hoity toity goal or something, but for something to direct her hero impulse at, like, hey, there's darkness here in the school. I can fight. I'll just do that. And, yeah, I think it's awesome. Yeah. Um, it's also worth pointing out that, uh, at least Dumbledore speculates, that Quirrell was involved in a lot of the fights. Mm-hmm. Um, Harry oh, is surprised yeah, the, by that. Oh, yeah, in the previous ones, yeah. Yeah, I was, yeah, I was so, surprised by that reading that. I'm like, oh, you know what? You're totally right. He could be. Yeah. I mean, he, he, was, he was also wrong about the cloak thing, but this makes sense yeah. if Dumbledore... Or if, uh, the um, if the defense professor doesn't like bullying, and I remember when um, what was his name Astorga was getting his ass chewed up by Snape, mm-hmm. and he's like, no, really, her her light her uh, her lightsaber spell really shouldn't have been able to pierce my shields. And um, Dumbledore made the same observation. He's like, yeah, it really shouldn't have. So clearly, the defense prof- the defense professor was there watching them invisibly. And uh, hmm. like, what's that? So, what's that payoff for Quirrell? Interesting. Or was it really Hagrid? You know? <laughs> yes. Um, I like it though. It's uh, George R. Banks, right? But this is where um, you know Dumbledore points out. He's like, each time you intervened, it escalated matters further and further. And soon, Miss Granger is facing down Robert Drugson himself, the son of a Death Eater, and two strong allies at his side. Painful it indeed it would have been for her if Miss Granger had lost that battle. And yet, by your will and Quirinus's hand, this time shown more openly, she won. And although the Jugson and the two friends, that wasn't, uh, that wasn't whatever the mysterious aid of Professor Quirrell involved, that was Super Susan. Is Dumbledore unaware of that? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I would think, I think I, that point occurred to me around something else that like the things that Dumbledore is aware of and aren't like for Dumbledore not to be aware of some things makes it his like ESP on other things kind of not believable. But yeah, I don't, I don't think we have any indication that he does. He would have to though. Cause I mean, it's not, she's just a student, even though, and the fact that she's got some connection to Moody would actually make it more likely that Dumbledore would know about it. <laughs> that's a good point. I guess maybe he just doesn't spell yeah. it out for Harry here. And you know, that's that's part of the fun of this too. And that's where, like, I, I, I don't know, it's not a theme of the story, but it's a thing that happens over and over. It's a recurring element where, like, characters know more than they let on yeah. or they're mistaken about what they know and their mistakes are plausible. Yeah. Um, it's, it's all just... Uh, like, I don't know, fun to speculate and think about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the other end, because like, so Harry had this, like Harry's point about like, Oh, it's not that this all wasn't a big problem before you were just ignoring it. Like that's totally true. But then also in Tumblr says, but yeah, shit is out of like, there were 40 clan members in the halls trying to kill each other. That shit's not okay. (laughs) Uh, also true. Um, and also, and not just like, like that, you know, 40, a 40 clan murder squad um, is not the level of, oh, that just was like going unseen. Like, no, it wouldn't have been that, that. That was more than the level that was just being swept under the rug. It, that was much worse than what was really going on. Um, so again, like 
like neither of their points can be easily dismissed. Because it's also true. And, and, and like Harry's point about like, oh, you were just ignoring it is like sort of proven as true because now they stopped ignoring it. Or, you know, at, at the end of all of this, they stop ignoring it and they're going to start clamping down on it more. Um, so he wasn't totally wrong. It's interesting. Like this is this is reminiscent of what brought Harry into the headmaster's office like in his first week when he refused to stop escalating with Snape in potions class. Yeah. And so like, you know, rather than again take the loss, he Harry's whole thing seems to be like no, losing's for losers. I'm going to just <laughs> you know, if I have to escalate this, this this whole argument goes all the way to like again, we had a battle in the halls and uh you had to bring in the defense professor to to mess up this whole like i don't know what you would you know that, that gang jumping that yeah. was about to happen and like that would this, it would never have come to this if hermione had lost you know their whatever third or fourth battle mm-hmm. against the bullies yeah and harry's whole thing is like yeah so like harry seems to be prepared to just push it all the way to the end and say yes this injustice is worth burning it all down over. yeah and that's but yeah and that's the injustice yeah that's pretty much what coral said that's what coral said to him about the snake thing was like you were for this one little thing you were willing to just go all the way to the wall for it like you don't have a sense of like when is the right time to you know push all your chips in the middle right uh, yeah, and then yeah, Dumbledore pretty much like says exactly that right after that. that was the next quote I pulled was, To always fight the darkness, to never let evil pass unchallenged. That is not heroism, but simple pride. Um, and yeah, that's, I mean, that is pretty much like what happened to him with the Snape thing. Was it wasn't like the level of the awful, I mean, yeah, what Snape did was like shitty and abusive, uh, and, and not worth, you know, setting the world on fire over. Yeah, and he he points out too that you know even Godric Gryffindor, who you know I guess legend has as you know this awesome heroic figure, um, his his goal as being the most Gryffindor one could possibly be because he is the Gryffindor of Gryffindor. <laughs> he's like even he didn't fight every battle. Yeah. He he had to pick and choose because you can't win everything, and like, what does he say? He says that. Uh, Oh, you actually, you pulled up the same quote. Yeah. Um, it's later in this, this monologue that he's giving Harry. It says, In truth, Harry, the words you speak, they are not evil. No, not evil, and yet they frighten me. And then you started, then you got your quote pick up from there. Uh, you are one who might someday wield great power over wizardry, over your fellow wizards. And if, come that day, you still think that evil must never pass unchallenged, no note of real worry had entered the headmaster's voice. The world has grown more fragile since the age when Hogwarts was raised. I fear it cannot bear the fury of another Godric Gryffindor, and he was slower to his wrath than you. The old wizard shook his head. You are too ready to fight, Harry, much too ready to fight, and Hogwarts itself is becoming a more violent place around you. I think it's just these like really well-written passages for Dumbledore that are just kind of like their own indication of, like, you, you have to listen to the thing he says right here, otherwise we wouldn't have written it so nicely. <laughs> right. You also point out that the this isn't the everything is a story yeah, Dumbledore. Yeah, and I, and I that's what I really and this like this is basically kind of the same thing he said with the you know let's not uh, blow up Azkaban speech. That it's very like mature and also and it's not like dismissive though. It's not like okay yeah th- things are fucked up and we're trying to deal with them, but you know if you try to you know take every single fight that comes in front of you, then you're gonna you know, never get past the sidewalk in your house. Like, right. Yeah. 
Yeah, I like um conserve your ammo, this, dude. It's just fun to re- like look back and reflect. Remember at the beginning, like when our first introduction to Dumbledore, and he was just totally crazy. Oh, yeah, yeah. And there was this legit concern that, like, oh man, is he going to be just crazy wallpaper for yeah. this story? Crazy but no, wallpaper. we get this badass Dumbledore. Oh, yeah. He's great. Yeah, I like this guy. And it's because it's like thoughtful things he says. They're not like, you know, these simplistic little, you know, slogans. Right. Well, in, in everyone's, or in defense of, of the self awareness, I think of that, that chapter was called Pretending to Be Wise. So oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> I think so. But, it's uh, like, and when, like, Dumbledore, like, this vibe that Dumbledore gives out, is like in such contrast to the just sort of like arrogant self-righteousness that Harry's giving off during all of this and just like his kind of certainty and just oversimplification of everything. It was like, well, clearly this is wrong and I did the thing to fix it. Uh, so I'm right and you're not. Um, it's so like kind of simple um, that it's just it's like when you see this kind of more measured and thought out way of looking at things it kind of makes that like the sort of what can sort of be appealing like self-righteousness is appealing as long as you don't think about it too hard um that it's not like it makes it stand out it's like okay that's really not the most flattering way to look at the world especially to the way that harry kind of like when Dumbledore's making what i feel like are these good points he kind of does these like um technically i imagine pushing up his glasses <laughs> and he's like um, actually you know um, well, actually, I, I we didn't know, really fight. I right. we were, he just glued people to the ceiling. So technically, well, he's like, yeah, you know, I didn't, I didn't actually fight today. It's like, no, you sent the defense professor. He's like, he didn't fight either. There wasn't anyone strong enough to fight him. What happened today wasn't fighting; it was winning. Winning, which is also kind of like a scary thing yeah. to say. Yeah, I don't know why that sounds sinister, but it does. Yeah. Um. There, there's also like, the, I, and this is just a not really related to the larger conversation, but it's funny. And I exactly share this sentiment with Harry. He says, I don't know if it'll help to say this, but I think you have, you're getting the wrong impression of what I'm all about. I don't, I don't like real fighting. I don't, re- excuse me. I don't like real fighting either. It's scary and violent and somebody might get hurt. Like, <laughs> and, and that, that's, that's exactly the way that one should feel about fighting. Exactly. Uh, like, I mean, yes, it's violent. It's right there in the name, but like, also, it's like it's scary, and someone could actually get hurt. Like a fight is a very scary yeah. thing, and so that's that's why Harry has this nice uh, demarcation between what he d- did and slash orchestrated, and like an actual fight. Yeah, I said because um, like no, no one could have gotten hurt here because the defense professor was in control yeah. of everything the whole time. But that doesn't mean that it like all right, fine, Harry. It wasn't fighting. If I look up the definition of fighting here in the dictionary, but you get what the fuck I'm saying. Yeah. Harry kind of dodges that question. Yeah. And I saw that as like, like, and cause sort of Harry kind of half believes it or th- that his like, cause it's sort of a childish way of looking. And it's like, well, yeah, but fighting hurts. And I don't want people to get like physically hurt. Like, like that's kind of the BS he's feeding himself to like, let him go on with the, you know, comfortable place he's in by being right all the time. Um, that it sort of like shows it's kind of the, simplistic in a way he's formulating stuff when it's convenient for him um yeah i mean yeah, like, so it's it's like it definitely also would have driven the, the point home to break the femurs of every bully in the room right yeah. and like then they'd all had to spend an uncomfortable night in the hospital being regrowing their legs but like he didn't actually hurt them i it's yeah well because I mean, if you can and keep like, that like super like comic book guy overly literal focus on well technically there was no actual fighting uh that lets him like overlook the well yes but you are in the meanwhile subjugating everybody in that hallway to your interpretation of right and wrong because you've told yourself that you're thinking about it better than everybody else 
Uh, like he can right. overlook, but we weren't fighting, fighting. <laughs> well, and the thing that makes it fun and challenging there is that, like, I think we're we're all on board with what Harry has a problem with. Yeah. Right. Yeah. If like the, this isn't Harry back in here fighting about getting yelled at by Professor Snape on this first week, he's like, no, we're here fighting bullies. Like, there's no one's on their side, not even you. So what the hell? Like, yeah. you kind of get where he's coming from. Yeah. And it's it's more just like the, all right, fine, Harry. Yes, I agree. But like, how much? The, the new Dumbledore is old and wise and understands nuance, I guess. And Harry is just like, no, man, if there's badness, we got to we got to shut it down. And I think it's really easy and tempting. And, you know, if somebody's talking, if you're watching a movie and somebody else is talking and you ask them nicely to be quiet and they don't be quiet, you can shoot them in the face. Or you can like, like, so Harry, Harry wouldn't shoot them in the face. You do something, you know, more creative, yeah. like, I guess, whatever, uh, like, plant drugs in their back in their, in their <laughs> exactly, pocket and then, right. then call a SWAT team yes. right? and it's like well I didn't hurt them I just I, I had the SWAT team scare them and get them out of there you know so the movie could, could resume and like it's yeah I don't know um, well it's like, and I know, think granted, like Hermione makes the point a little later but like Harry will come up with this like very logical and in many ways entirely valid justification for his actions while not at all entertaining the idea that there are equally thoughtful people also thinking through their actions and coming to different conclusions and you're making no room for that because, well, you thought about it really hard, so you must be right. And if they don't agree, it must be because they're not. Yeah. So it's like I, a, I'm yeah. looking forward to talking about that when we get to Hermione and his mm-hmm. interaction. Cause like, man, I, I'm, I'll wait until I get there, but I'm, I'm eager to try and put myself in Hermione's shoes and imagine what that would be like. Yeah. Um, but I'll, I'll save my my uh, imaginings for that. So I guess, yeah, the, the conversation with Dumbledore ends. Um, yeah, and Dumbledore is kind of like, oh, fine, but like Dumbledore is a, you know, a little bit like a little bit testy for Dumbledore. He's, it's a little bit of a vibe of, okay, fuck it, get out of here. Like I'm fed up talking to you. Right. He says like, these conflicts must end. And it it must end decisively and soon, and you must not stand in the way of its ending. And he just gestures and t- you know, like you said, get the fuck out. Mm-hmm. We're done. Um, and then oh, I wonder if that. I wonder if like that is kind of the impetus behind the very sad and disappointing. No teacher does fuck all about Snape being a dick at the end. Like if that's like Dumbledore's like really shitty compromise of okay the way this has to end is I have to let Snape be a dick about it. I wonder. I don't know completely, but as we're like tying that back in together, I'm like, oh, I wonder because it is kind of like the yeah, pun- the punchline to hold to Dumbledore's whole thing is, and then shitty stuff happens that you really don't wish that you didn't have to be that way, but it kind of does. And that would kind of fit. So yeah. I don't know. No, that that. I think you're on yeah. something. Because it's, because it's very, like, uh, clearly shitty. Like, it's not like, oh, it's but it was worth it. Like, like the bullshit that Snape pulls at the end fucking sucks. Um, but maybe that's Dumbledore's like, okay, but this is the, you know, this is the shitty but least shitty choice to get out of this. And, uh, yeah, I guess at least in that in the outcome that does happen, like, nobody gets, there's yeah. it's not a fight. Yeah, but yeah. it's totally unfair. I mean, I mean totally. that, that would kind of fit with the vibe of it. Yeah, that, and, and yeah, and then like not to die, and yeah, that fucking sucks. But it's not 40 kids trying to murder each other in the hallway. Right. Yeah, geez. Um, all right, yeah, so Harry comes out and Quirrell is zombieing against the wall. 
And I like this. Harry waited, but the slump man didn't rise up. And after long, awkward seconds, Harry began to walk down the corridor. <laughs> and then Coral, I guess, on zombies at that point. Oh, he's, and he's kind of a little fucked up. He's like, oh, Mr. Potter. Yeah, I think it was this, these descriptions of him being like zombie-ish are a little more, like, it's more kind of involved with it. In the previous times I've described him, he's just kind of like, it's sort of a thing that's happening and then it stops and then we're kind of interacting with him in a kind of a more normal state. This has been a few more kind of interacting where he's like, he is kind of like in fucked up zombie mode, but still trying to be quarrel. Yeah, the times where he's doing half and half are interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it feels like up till now it's always been like sort of like, oh, he's being a zombie and then he stops and then we start interacting with him. But we're sort of like interacting with him while he's in the middle of it. Yeah. So what uh, what do they talk about? Um, What do they talk about? They talk about um, I kind of like skipped ahead to like the important bit of it. But um, yeah, what's the lead in? Because I mean, the the part that the, the punchline to it was. Quirrell talking about, um, like talking about like what the the sacrifice is. It, it, they get into talking about like sacrifices, um, dark magic, and and that it has to involve a sacrifice. But what was the lead up to that? It was were they just talking about kind of the the blowover from the whole thing? Yeah, okay. basically, yeah. how'd you meet with the headmaster go? Yeah. Harry is like, well, I'm not sure. Not the way I predicted. Yeah. He seemed to believe the light should lose a lot more often than I would consider wise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm not sure I understand the difference between trying to fight and trying to win. It explains a lot, actually. And I like this, too. Um, he says it explains a lot about fighting and winning. He says Harry hadn't read much about the Wizarding War, which I'll just interject. Sounds like a kind of weird, like, gap in his time to read. You'd think That's like true. you would read a bit about the previous Wizarding War, especially now that it's going on again. Yeah. Well, it, but the, but, that Wizarding War was only 10 years old. That's kind of weird if you like try to put that in like context of 10-year-old news events for us. That's a good point. Yeah, like 9-11 is too old to fit into that category. Yeah. But like say this was 10 years ago and I was now in charge of responding to the next, you know, big terrorist threat or something. I'd mm. probably read a book True. on the the previous time this happened mm. just 10 years ago. But especially if it was the yeah, same. Yeah, it'd be things, even more. Yeah, you know? it'd be even more recent. It wouldn't even feel like a historical event. It would feel like that thing that happened a little while ago. Right. Anyways, yeah. then Harry's thinking like... Uh, uh, he'd read enough to know that the good guys probably had acquired a pretty good or pretty accurate picture of who most of the Death, Eater, Death Eaters were and hadn't just owled them all hand grenades over the course of five minutes. <laughs> now, how did, like, like, how did that read to you? Because like, to me, that was also like, oh, like it's really dangerous if you start being completely convinced of your own righteousness. Because like, oh, I yeah. mean, at some point, you've got to say that like the person that I'm up against is not willing to settle, you know, mm. They're working with or for the the person who's trying to overthrow the government and is killing lots of people and nailing people's skins to the wall. So, like, at some point, someone is evil. Like, and this is coming from somebody who wants everyone to live forever. But with the technology and circumstances available to us, there are people who are just too dangerous to keep around, right? Yeah, I know. Yeah, my, I guess, like, the... The feeling I get when listening, when reading that is like, yes, that's totally true. And that's kind of like the, the trap that all this always is, is that is a completely sane and valid way of looking at it and completely makes sense. And how do you know you're right? Um, and that like, and that's like, and the sort of reliance on how 
you know, commonsensical it seems and how very, uh, you know, how clear it is that you are right, like makes you start like just abandoning the idea of like allowing for being mistaken. Um, Maybe it's less about like how certain am I that I'm a hundred percent right. And how certain am I that Voldemort is, is not yeah. right. Well, yeah, and I guess like, so yeah. And, and like when you frame it that way, then of course, and the, but it's, I guess like the vibe I take away from it then is, and then how many scenarios that aren't quite that are you then generalizing that thing into? Like how many, like, oh, you know what? He just thought it was the de- cool Death Eater tattoo. Are you then going to decide he, you know, deserves a grenade in the mail? Um, like that's like, and that's sort of the weird vibe. It's like, at what point does like your sort of zealous, you know, dedication to truth and justice turn into, you know, turn, becoming the goon squad? And that's a good question. And Harry doesn't seem to have asked himself. That, yeah. Right? And I think like, like, that's the thing that sticks out the most. And I think that's like, I, and the part that I think we are still like, supposed to take away from this is that sort of like a dangerous confidence in his own rightness. And I think the fact, especially since he got into that whole like, oh, winning versus, you know, and enjoying the game, like the fact that the biggest agreement with his point is in this conversation he has with Voldemort um, is kind of a <laughs> kind of telling as to like like how much are we supposed to agree with that um they're like no this is like a dangerous you know um you know complete disregard for the possibility that maybe you're mistaken sometimes yeah and i i i agree that certainly harry is taking it too far or rather hasn't considered where to stop yeah like is he going to wage full bore like literally full bore against bullies so like presumably he can't just quote win as easily against voldemort if this was like a you know a the the climax of the second wizarding war he won't be able to just win by snapping his fingers and doing some trick um it'll be like what am i trying to say there's difference between saying all right look i've got literally voldemort you know which is our our standing for hitler yeah and it's like all right am i so uncertain in my moral convictions that i won't even kill hitler um but that's not that's not what you're saying like that's like the, the the question is like all right do i kill hitler do i kill every one of his lieutenants do i kill everyone who wore his his sign um you know do i kill everyone who uh, so like at that point mm-hmm. like you just you're that, that that's that's the slope right yeah. and uh, you know, when this you is why we have Godwin's law. Too motivated. But yeah, but, I mean, that? That, but that's like the great example of it. I mean, that's why the, that that's Godwin's law. Like, yes, that right. all of those decisions make complete sense when you're talking about Hitler, and we're never talking and about I, Hitler. We should, we should mention Godwin's law is the internet adage that the longer an internet argument goes on, the odd, or the odds of an analogy involving Hitler or Nazis approaches one. <laughs> And I'm very aware of that, so I always like to kind of just run straight there, exactly, and then then work back from there. Um, I'm also a fan of like just starting my hypotheticals from, all right, let's pick the most extreme example. Okay, that proves the point. So then, where do we stop? Yeah. But I, th- I mean, like um, fits here because that's sort of like where like Harry's in like Godwin mode, Godwin Gryffindor. No, um, <laughs> that like yeah, like he's 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 a Sith dealing in absolutes, um, and like working from those like these very clean moral decisions which are like well based but it's, it's the, like the disregard for maybe you've completely misinterpreted the situation uh, and that you're the very certain and, and laid out and completely sensical ethical framework that you've put in place here just doesn't apply right now um, so like hedge your bets with the tossing around the thunderbolts because 
uh, you might be wrong. Yeah. And I think, you know, from my understand my current mental model of Harry as he is, he would definitely actually stop and be absolutely sure before he started killing people. But scaring bad guys and like, you know, bullies are a very scaled down version of Voldemort, so that's fine. <laughs> um, like, there, I, I can't imagine that there's any amount of reflection that he would do or that even you and I would do that would say, you know what? Nah, the bullies are right. Like, I, at least not for me. I don't, I don't want to put words in your yeah. mouth, but... Um, well, no, but I guess like, like, if, like a slightly more realistic play out to this would be like, so he just stirred up a hornet's nest. I mean, this is how, so how it would really play out is like, he just stirred up a hornet's nest and there would be like, if this were like in the real world, there would be a bunch of like, like echo effects, you know, splash effect violence that would come from this of people getting pissed off at each other for what happened here. And lots of little mini violences that come from this that would not have happened except for him, like, you know, stirring up that hornet's nest. Um, but now the hornets are all afraid of him. Oh uh, yeah. Afraid of him. And sort of, <laughs> yeah, it's it, like, it's all this like super fucked up mess and Harry making that decision on behalf of the entire school without consulting them, which is, pretty much what Hermione gets into, but like, it's him sort of like applying his own evaluation of, you know, morality to everyone else uh, just because he's certain in his own mind that he knows better than they do. Um, it's, it's interesting. Like, so imagining like, all right, let's say Harry becomes the light Lord right now and becomes, you know, as you know, 10 times stronger than Quirrell. How will he run everything? So, like, right now, what I could, like you mentioned, if this was the real world, what would happen? It would just kind of drive the fighting underground, right? Yeah. There'd be no more, there'd be no more baiting out the, the heroines. There'd just be, like, a lot of name-calling and, like, some almost certainly accidental-looking shoves or tripping or whatever, just pouring a potion in her book bag or something when she's not looking. Like, but and it wouldn't stop stuff like, like, oh, somebody gets, like, legit killed or sent to, like, Mungo's hospital with a real, real bad thing that somebody just made super very, very careful to make sure they couldn't get caught doing. And it won't, exactly. like, stop that so kind then of you stuff. Imagine, then you imagine a crazy, strong Harry. Like, what? where does he draw the line? Yeah. Oh, you just, sh- you just shoved Tracy Davis into the locker. I saw this. Or someone told me they saw this. Mm-hmm. Now you get to be naked and glued to the ceiling. But like, what if it's actually an accident? Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No. Things things can get slippery. Um, and it's like I, and it's I, kind of like a, a view of the world that like problems are things that that the the reason that any arbitrary problem hasn't been solved is just because for lack of somebody applying enough will to solving it that it's just because somebody hasn't tried hard enough somebody hasn't you know been willing to you know, exert justice strongly enough. Um, and that, you know, you just need a combination of a strong will and an accurate evaluation of what's wrong in order to solve all problems. I mean, what else do you need? <laughs> um, cause I, I've been, I've been trying to lean on like the Dumbledore side of this, but I am sympathetic to the Harry side. And so like, if you feel like you have a good view of what's going on, if you actually have a good picture of what's going on and, uh, you have the power to do something about it. Like, what? What else? Well, yeah, but that's a, so like, but like, so Harry hasn't like solved this problem, and like the problem is just sort of like a like you know older than God kind of problem of just you know people are shitty to each other in groups, um, and the, there isn't like a clean awesome solution to that that is just lacking of you know enough willpower to to do it. It's you know 
complicated, squishy stuff like encourage more empathy between students and, you know, make sure that the, you know, kid with the abusive parents is getting the right counseling before he, you know, lashes out in violence. There are are a bunch of things that aren't just like go out and find that enemy and defeat them. Um, They're like complicated little half measures that are only partially successful and that, you know, aren't the defeating of an enemy. Um, but that's like that kind of mindset of like, oh, I've just figured out the right thing to do and I, now I need to go out and do it, um, is, you know, can get you into trouble. Yeah, I, I see what you mean. I think maybe like the, the, the solution isn't much one that has like a central summary and it's like, all right, this is a 30 year plan. Yeah. Or, yeah. And it's, and it's not a, you know, I think like Harry's like that mentality on it is that everything is a battle to be won in some sense. Like it is a conflict to be, um, you know, to have triumph over. Um, right. And, you know, a lot of problems like that's not the solution. It's not just like, yeah, the solution is not that there is a force that needs defeating. Yeah. Yeah. It puts us in a, I mean, that's what makes this whole back and forth with Dumbledore awesome. Cause I mean, I think we've almost beat this to death, but like, cause because Harry's right, like this sucks, and we yeah. can't just like let this keep happening. But there's probably that Harry's not doing it in what one would might consider the wise way of solving yeah. the problem. Yeah. yeah, and I think, and then maybe I think like that's the interesting thing about all of this. I think this was just sort of playing this out. Like, there's not a cool answer to this, and yes, Harry's like right. It's not that like oh Harry's all wrong here, um, but I think this is just sort of playing it out. Like. And I kind of like this, that I I think maybe like Yudkowsky didn't come into this with like a, oh, here's the moral to the story that I'm going to end this with. Um, he just sort of like, he like he has these kind of two well-developed characters that he's now sort of felt out like this is what makes them tick. And he just kind of like, you know, wound them up and had them walk into each other and see what happens. Um, and so I like this whole scene ends with just sort of like, you know, this is what happens when, you know, here's this set of valid ways to look at it and here's this other set of conflicting yet still valid ways to look at it and what happens when you run them into each other um and then you know it ends up with you know some of this is right and some of this isn't and there isn't like a nice clean moral to the story to take from it when you're done but i thought it was cool because of like a really like meaty like conversation they they had yeah no totally all right, so we'll move back to uh, Harry's oh, yeah. conversation with the defense <laughs> professors. So basically, uh, Quirrell kind of segues the conversation saying, I particularly enjoyed the chant you composed for Miss Davis. Um, he says, tell me honestly, have you, have you somehow acquired a famili- familiarity with the theory of dark rituals? It's not the same as confessing an intent to cast them. Many wizards know the principles. And he's like, no. <laughs> um, I do like this, this little bit of reminding us that Harry isn't a complete idiot. He says, Harry had decided some time ago against trying to sneak into the restriction section of the Hogwarts library. For much the same reason, he decided a year earlier not to look up how to make explosives out of common household materials. Harry prided himself on having at least more sense than people thought he did. (laughs) (laughs) And so he's like, no, I'm not going to, like, deliberately expose myself to super dangerous stuff like that. Um, And then Quirrell says, well, maybe you just possess a natural talent for the field. (laughs) And Harry's like, okay, yeah, sure. You know, I I suppose Dr. Seuss also has a natural talent for dark dark rituals then, too. And he says, no, no, not that part. And this is where he's laying out, like, in fact, it even says the defense professor's voice grew a little stronger and took on more of its normal lecturing tone. An ordinary charm, charm, Mr. Potter, can be cast by merely speaking certain words, making precise motions of the wand and expending some of your own strength. 
Even powerful spells may be invoked this way if the magic is efficient as well as efficacious. But the greatest of magics, speech alone does not suffice to give them structure. You must perform specific actions, make significant choices. Nor is the temporary expenditure of your own strength sufficient to set them in motion. God, this is actually a really long speech. Um, <laughs> short version is is that... Uh, it was about sacrifice, I think. Yeah. A, sacrifice. Yeah, they require a, a permanent sacrifice where like charms don't. You can just wave your wand and say, Wingardium Leviosa, no one has to die. But if you want to do something, you know... And that's actually something to think about. Like, it's in this, it's it's like when you're playing a video game, depending on whatever game I'm thinking of, like Dragon Age, you know, like blood magic is a specific class of magic that is distinct from the regular magic for whatever, the mage class or something, right? Um, you typically have, I think in the game I'm thinking of, you explicitly have to like sacrifice a child to a demon or something, and then you get access to blood magic. But nice. Kroll's saying, no, no, this is all magic. And of mm. course it is. It's not like there's two different kinds of magic running around. They're saying, no, to do the really intense stuff, you need to do rituals. And rituals have sacrifices. And then he lists out like how the Unbreakable Vow works. And there's also the ordering. And that's what Harry nailed in his little uh, ritual that he gave Tracy. That oh, yeah. um, the unbreakable, unbreakable Vow requires three participants and three sacrifices. The one who receives the unbreakable vow must be one who could have come to trust the vower, but chooses instead to demand the vow from them, and then sacrifice that possibility of trust. The one who makes the vow must be someone who could have chosen to do what the vow demands of them, and they sacrifice that capacity for choice. And the third wizard, the binder, permanently sacrifices a small portion of their magic to sustain the vow forever. And so this answers why Harry, um, like, he's, he's like, Harry says, I'd wondered why that spell wasn't used all over the place every time people had difficulty trusting each other. Um, yeah, but, like, so, like, I like that because it, it's some, it's, What was that? Harry starts munchkinning unbreakable vows. Right. Um, and, you know, well, sure, because I guess if it requires permanent sacrifice of magic, but then why don't wizards on the deathbeds charge money for it to bind unbreakable vows and use that to leave an inheritance for their children? Parole says, because they're stupid. There are a hundred useful rituals which could be formed if men had so, has so much sense. I can name 20 without stopping to draw breath. Um, but I like that, especially the expansion on the, the unbreakable vow. Like, the... It takes it much more seriously... And that's that's you know kind of a theme throughout this whole book. It takes it much more seriously than it did in canon. Like in canon, I guess he just made a, pr- a super promise that if you broke it, you died. Super promise. It's a pinky promise in Latin, right? And so like this this is this adds like some actual like meat to yeah. that idea, and I think it's really cool. Um, yeah, to me, like, I mean, this one just, for it, me, it's a fun expansion on on an established thing that we all knew about, yeah. the Unbreakable Vow. And I, like for me, this sort of like laid out some kind of like like sacrifice for everything as i read this i'm like okay this is like super important for horcrux land um so this feels like okay this is laying groundwork for later stuff but i like how it's sort of like the, the way that it framed that in terms of like you know like like you're buying so like there's a zero sum and you know you get one thing by buying a, a you know a real actual permanent sacrifice um and then sort of like try to unify like kind of all magic like operating on that theory um yeah that was kind of cool or at least all ritual yeah, magic. Yeah. yeah. And I think the, the Horcrux, he, he obviously doesn't lay out here for us, yeah. but like, I guess you, the actual sacrifice you make is of the person that you kill because the Horcrux requires a death, yeah. right? Yeah. I, th- I think, I, I guess I like that because like, so that's sort of the, like from the original books, like that's the, 
the closest thing to this kind of idea of, I mean, it's, it was already there, but like this sort of is very sort of explicitly tying in that kind of like sacrifice for a thing um, element to it. And so I kind of like it, it sort of like put a kind of unifying theory around the whole thing. Um, I don't know. Well, I don't know. It just sort of felt like, okay, we're setting this up as this, this is going to be an important thing. Um, yeah. So, yeah. yeah no, no, I hear you. I, I don't know if I actually took it that way. I just took it as like another fun expansion on, you know, what the fuck yeah. is magic. No, yeah, it was like um, that. But you no, know, it felt, I don't know. At least for me, it felt like, okay, this is going to be like, we're like putting together like a, a theory for like how all of this is going to work coming up. I don't know. Just cause like I've had, like, I'm sure like the Horcruxes and running away from death uh are clearly going to be the thing so yeah no i think you're probably totally onto something like i said for me i'm more just like uh um i when i read stuff i'm much more of like a service level reader so i'm like oh cool more stuff about magic but you're right this is probably thematically important should be horcruxes or horcruxes horcruxes you're the the latin horcruxes i'm not latin horcruxes what does it mean? Horror anyway, so the, it turns out that Harry's ritual that he gave Tracy bore a striking resemblance to real rituals, and that no doubt some of the bullies had a, had a familiarity with it, and that those who did would have been scared beyond yes. belief. And that the, and that the actual yeah. spell is that he was sacrificing an ancient god for the benefit of summoning one Harry Potter. <laughs> <laughs> Which I thought was pretty cool. It's just like completely over the top of how important Harry's Potterus is. Right. Oh, right. So the way I wrote my chant implies that the outer god Yog Sadoth was permanently sacrificed in a ritual which but briefly sac- briefly manifested your presence. <laughs> I suppose we'll discover tomorrow whether anyone took that seriously when we read in the newspaper to see whether all the magical nations of the world are banding together in a desperate effort to seal off your incursion into our reality. <laughs> yeah. And then you pulled out the last thing that he says to Harry. Here. Yeah, I thought this was uh, cool. Yeah, because we have this like very... Like our... Quarrel's been kind of this like fucked up wounded animal vibe, these chapters. And so this kind of, so anyway, so Quarrel's kind of, you know, before this, he had his kind of his, as close as Quarrel can come to saying thank you or giving a compliment, um, saying that, you know, uh, it's very rare that anybody can kind of bring me out of one of my dark moods. And it's even more rare that anybody would do it on purpose. So that's like as close as he comes to saying thank you. Um, but then as so then we get they get back to his office and what he kind of says in kind of just in parting um about how much he liked you know what had happened that he sort of envied Harry he says uh, there was a time when I would have sacrificed a finger from my wand hand to work upon the bullies of Hogwarts as we have worked upon them this day to make them fear me as they now fear you to have the deference of all the students and the adoration of many I would have given my finger for that you have everything now that I wanted then all that I know of human nature says that I should hate you, and yet I do not. It is a very strange thing. So yeah, that's weird. Um, yeah. Especially like his very coral way of like like uh, what is so awesome about about it is that they all fear me. They all fear you and have deference for you. Um, like he's still like in his weird uh, evil Voldemorty world of not understanding how humans interact. Uh, right. Well, I mean, he's right about that, but he leaves out the part. He does say the adoration of many, yeah. but he he doesn't say I would have sacrificed a finger for my one hand to have been the savior of all the yeah. students from all the bullies. Yeah, or he to says, be no, a, what I wanted or to have all difference. the other students like me. You know, it wasn't that right? <laughs> and then I like and like it all reads, you know, 
somewhat ominously and Harry picks it up that way. Mm. Maybe it didn't read ominously until Harry did. I can't remember my initial reading, but Harry says, it should have been a touching moment, but instead for Harry, but instead Harry felt a coldness traveling down his spine as though he were a little fish in the sea and some vast white shark had just looked at him, looked him over and decided after a visible hesitation not to eat him. <laughs> That's a good line. Yeah. The door, the man opened the door to the defense professor's office, passed within and was gone. And then aftermath, we are in potions class because we forgot this is a school. <laughs> oh and yeah, people have to go to classes. Yeah, that was, and I, it wasn't like anything at all in the scene, but it was just like drawing back attention to Snape. So we're in potions class, and uh, Snape hasn't even actually like walked in yet. But my first thought was like, wait a minute, what the fuck? Because um, it was like, a like, what the hell was he doing there? And then he just got completely blasted out. Nobody said anything, and also, and also, what the hell was he doing there? Um, <laughs> And yeah, so we don't get that answered, but womp. Womp, womp. but yeah, most of the uh, most of this scene is making fun of Tracy Davis. Um, in, in in some of the best comic relief, like as far as like structurally, like this comes down from a, like, a heavy action girls. badass chapter to some serious philosophy talk to a kind of ominous moment to just like Tracy in my soul. Yeah, ba- like essentially laugh out loud laughter yeah. or moments. I mean, like so Tracy comes in, she's got like this. Uh, what is it, like a black tattered cloak that she draped over her yeah. uniform, and then um, she's like, "Oh, see, I got I got Harry Potter, Potter before Granger. I sacrificed my soul to him and was a conduit for his dread powers and everything." Um, and <laughs> Draco actually checks and he's like, "Excuse me, did did Harry Potter tell you that using those words?" And she's like, "Well, no, mm-hmm. but he better take me now. Now that I've sacrificed my soul to him and everything." <laughs> Millicent's like, you sacrificed your soul? And there's a clatter from the other side of the room as Ron Weasley dropped his inkwell and, um, like, her whole thing. I looked myself in the mirror and I look paler now and I can always feel the darkness surrounding me. And I was a conduit for his dread powers. And Daphne, you saw, you saw my eyes go green, right? And, you saw it right. Um, She's wearing a Bauhaus t-shirt. <laughs> She's got safety pins for piercings. And then who who was the girl that uh, he, she walks over and sucks out her soul? Uh, Pansy, um, Pansy Parkinson. Right, yeah, and then she says, "Don't um, fuck with me, or I'll eat your soul." She goes over there and she goes, <sighs> "Yeah," because it says like, oh, "You can't eat my soul," and then she's like, "Oh wait, no, she ate my soul." There, I ate it. No, you didn't. Did too. <laughs> and then Theodore looks over. Merlin, you did. You look all pale now, and your eyes seem empty. What? And she pulls out like a little bear. <laughs> Oh, you're in trouble now, Pansy. I, I, know, I don't know exactly what happens when a Dementor kisses you, but if Tracy Davis kisses you, that's probably even worse. And Dean, I've heard about people without souls. They have to dress in all black and write awful poetry, and nothing ever makes them happy, and they're all oh, angst. angsty. I don't want to be angsty. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That line about having no soul. I'm like, and all the Weasleys have no soul. Why don't they get souls? Because they're redheads. Oh, right. Yeah, of course. Yes. I figured there might be some argument for the Weasley twins having to share a soul or something, but I know you're just going to go full-blown <laughs> full anti-ginger on this. Anti-ginger. <laughs> right, like, so after Hard. all this, and especially because like some people are like actually like taking it seriously and being like semi-afraid of Tracy, but then Snape like storms in. He's like, shut up, sit down. Like He's just not having it. Right. You know, like, it's sort of like resets everything. Like, no, you're just being like weird kids. Stop it. Well, except for then the, the last one was Professor Snape, Tracy ate, ate my, my soul. soul. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can only just imagine like what it 
like you know exhausted gesture he's just like oh, for fuck's sake you bunch of fucking morons <laughs> it's like what oh, oh no we left out the best one of the best lines in the whole thing yeah draco um the air of Malfoy had slumped forward, resting his hands in, or resting his head in both hands, so nobody could see his face. And he's just, why is my life like this? <laughs> uh, he's been good scenes. Like, Jacob's basically kind of like not been in this at all, but I like that he's like in this this very not traditional Draco thing of just being like, oh, you fucking idiots. Right. And he's like, not he's like not being like malevolent or anything. He's just like, oh, these fucking morons. Well, and his life is crazy weird. Yeah. He's just like, I just wanted to go to school and then eventually become the Lord Malfoy. And now there's all this weird shit going on. And oh, man, <laughs> father's father's tutors did not train me for this. <laughs> all right. So, so all right, that's, that's one chapter. So we should be able to fit this whole podcast into four hours. We'd better. <laughs> all right. That was a much meaner. It was a, a lubing, meandering alley, or yeah, meandering alley in the midst of Hogwarts, wandering like a stray lock of hair, sometimes crossing itself, it seemed, but you couldn't ever get to the end if you gave into gave into the temptation of apparent shortcuts. Is that another dark and stormy night entrance? No, not too bad. Oh, good. Yeah, see, it says it probably says a lot about my ability to read that I honestly can't tell. <laughs> So anyway, there's, there's six students huddled there, black robes against the gray walls, trimmed in green. Being and cartoonishly evil and racist. Right. They're they're over there conspiring about all this. and um, They're they're also lying to themselves about what happened, because I couldn't quite remember, but Harry does lay it out. They apparently were stripped naked and glued to the ceiling, but they're saying that uh, um, they weren't naked, but they were coated in chocolate frosting. So, uh, it kind of counts. Uh, it, they, were, I mean, they were clothed in frosting. Right, yeah, but I just think it's funny that, uh, you know, they're they're already, I don't know, something about them having to draw the line mm-hmm. there, because it's like, were you? I mean, no, I was not. I was not naked. I was covered in, or yeah, Marcus Flint. Covered in frosting, yes, but not naked. <laughs> this day, Potter has offered a great insult to our houses, said the voice of Jamie Astorka. So they're just over there being all, mm-hmm. like, as cartoonishly evil as possible. Yeah, yeah, and they like toss around some like, oh, I'm not going to bow my will to Potter, but maybe I will later. And everybody has a price, and yada yada yada. And I was again another like nice little Snape moment because they're all like trying to sound all impressive and threatening, and then Snape just kind of like swoops and he's like, "Cut that shit out! You embarrass yourself. You're going to stop it now." And it's just sort of like we're like, "Oh, okay." I like just sort of like the snap too of like they're all trying to sound super important and threatening and. Like, but an actual grown-up shows up and they, oh, oh, right, okay, sorry. Well, and I think he, he shows up right around when, yeah, Robert Jugson, whose dad is the Death Eater, and I think Lord Jugson, uh, he says, I will owl my father and he will speak to Lord Malfoy himself. And then, yeah, like I said, Snape just shows up, like, it says he hissed and then he's, like, when he spoke, small spots of spittle flew yes. from his mouth and he's screaming at them, I'm guessing from exclamation points and... He's like, you're, oh yeah, that's what he's saying. You speak of embroiling noble lords of the of the Wizengamite in pathetic childish squabbles. I shall deal with this matter. You will not embarrass this house again. You will not risk embarrassing this house again. You are done with fighting witches. And if I hear otherwise, and then we get a line break. But yeah, he's just as like, you know, like you said, I, I, your, your way of putting it was nice and succinct. Safe shows up and tells him to cut that shit out. <laughs> and, uh, it, that totally delivers the point he's like you guys shut the fuck up i'm on this and for fuck's sake don't even think about doing anything the grown-ups are dealing with this now right 
Yeah. I like it. It's like two of these like back to back of just like intentionally setting up what sounds like super threatening and then having Snape just come in and just bite just by the sheer force of not giving a shit. Just like of just like the assumption of you guys are full of shit and I know what I'm doing. Just shut the fuck up and get back to work. Sort of a like yeah, a put the around. Yeah, exactly. So then dinner time. and dinner time. And this one goes on for there. a while, but it's like mostly just like high school kids acting like high school kids. And I I, I loved it. I thought it was hilarious because they're like they're doing there's like oh here it was. It was uh like Harry's what do you what does she want from me? came the plaintive cry of a boy for all of extensive for all of his extensive reading up reading and god i can't read for all of his extensive reading in the scientific literature was still a bit naive about certain things, certain things. did she want to get beaten up and then the upper upper year ravenclaw boys who had sat down next to him at the dinner table exchanged swift glances with each other until by some unspoken protocol the most experienced of their numbers spoke and he's just like, look. And at some point, he puts a companionable hand on his shoulder, giving him girl advice. <laughs> and it's just like, like bro moments. <laughs> bro moments. I know. Yeah. And then it's like it's sort of like then the girl equivalent of the same thing with Hermione. Of I got it all kind of ran together, but like you know, basically sort of like relationships as currency. <laughs> I, yeah. It's it was just like. I think that the the deliberately self-aware yeah. bit of it, though, just made it, I don't know, as funny as possible. Um, <laughs> I mean, yeah, like, oh, you have to play hard to get. Shoulder yeah. and drops it. Oh, yeah. That's right. And then down the table, Hermione's having the same argument with her table mates, I guess. And mm-hmm. it's like, you know, what do you mean that was romantic? He didn't ask. He never asked. He just sent ghosts after people and glues them to ceilings. Whoever <laughs> wants with my life. Yeah. But don't you see that? Even though he's evil, he loves you. He says, you. Witch. And you have to you have to play hard to get because dark lords like women that are that are crazy. And yeah, yeah, it's great. They're all just so out of it. So then it ends where they have to talk to each other because they're the only two sane people in the room. Oh yeah, and Hermione <laughs> wants to make sure that they that she doesn't just get all like that they don't get screamy at each other because that's what everybody's expecting so they're going to have a very civil conversation <laughs> which almost sort of kind of works I do I do like this though and we'll get to it I guess here when she's arguing with Harry but you know her whole thing of like she, he just does whatever he wants with my life yeah uh, she, she's got a point she's got a reason to be mad and I'm curious to, to talk about that um, so yeah they, they, they go off and they're talking with each other and then uh, you know Harry's or, or rather, like Hermione's pissed, but Harry kind of just like, uh, well, anyway. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, because it, it, yeah, and it kind of ties back to basically what was going on, like the same conversation with with Dumbledore, just different subject matter. That, like, so Hermione's like pissed off that like that Harry took it upon himself to cause that whole thing, um, even though like it was all quote for her benefit uh, and to protect her. Like her main beef about it is like you do not include me in that decision. Um, and that's, I mean, at least for me, like it tied back to the whole same thing. And like a lot of what Harry goes on and on about is like all of his very, you know, well thought out reasons for doing everything that he did and completely like not entertaining the idea that there are other smart people also considering what they would like to have happen and that that doesn't enter into, you know, his decision making. <laughs> um, and oh, the subtitle of this chapter is responsibility, by the way. Oh, yes. And that's kind of the crux of what they're talking about. Yeah. Here. Like, who's responsible? What does it mean to be responsible for this stuff? Yeah. And this one, I could, yeah, it's again, 
uh, it didn't quite feel the same as the conversation with Dumbledore, but, um, but cause like the whole speech about responsibility that he gives, like sort of had the ring of, Oh, we're supposed to listen to this. But at least for me, like I wasn't quite having it. Um, because it just, it seemed to just kind of justify Harry's whole, well, you know, I thought about it really hard and decided what the right thing to do is. So it's too bad if you weren't able to keep up. Um, because I get like the, the version of it was like, so Harry said, uh, so Hermione's main was her main point of being pissed off was like, Harry, you, you just do these things and you don't even ask me first. You don't even like consult me about my life. Is what she said later. Um, and Harry gave what to me felt like a very strained and lame speech about, um, well, you know, if I'd asked you, you had to say no, cause you were playing the part of Hermione and, you know, you would have, you would have had to say no. And so if I, then I'm forcing the decision by asking you because you wouldn't be able to, to agree to it. So that's what I did. And that whole thing just sounded very like convenient. Um, <laughs> but I mean, is he wrong though? Uh, he's not wrong. He's just an asshole. I Again, I'm not necessarily taking this side. It's just, it's worth, <laughs> no, you it's just, worth, uh, you just, it's worth that, engaging with like, you threw it, that grapefruit in the line at me. So I had to quote, uh, Lebowski, but, um, <laughs> which is still sort of true, but like, um, I'm an ordained minister of the church of the dude, by the way. The church of the dude. No, it's seriously. It's like your opinion. Sign yeah. up at dudism.com. It takes five seconds. All right. Maybe I will. Um, no, I just got lost. I know. I know. Now I'm just lost in the land of Lebowski, and I can't can't bring myself back. I'll pull it back um, in. So basically, well, she has Harry guess what he did wrong, oh, yeah. and, and he guesses like, right. Uh, you wanted me to stay out of your affairs, and like, yeah, I was right up until like I saw how insane shit was getting, and then she's like, no, no, I understand why you, why you did that. We were in, we were in our, over our heads. Please guess again, Mister Potter. <laughs> Mister Potter. Um, what Tracy did startled you startled me no no mr potter i was scared i was frightened i wouldn't want to admit to being afraid of just dragons or something people might think it was cowardly when you hear distant voices trot crying tekalili tekalili and there's pools of blood seeping seeping out from under all the doors then it's okay to be scared (laughs) and the reason we all got scared like that mr potter was that you didn't ask first you should have asked me before you did something like that harry and yeah that's where he says like, look, you would have had to say no. And she's like, well, yes, that's the whole point of asking. No, 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 not that you could have said no, that you would have had to because you, you know, you're the sunshine general. You can't say, can I, can I scare the fuck out of everybody? If I asked you that, you'd have to say no. But I felt like that was the best thing to do. And then, you know, just as our lovely dose of sanity that Hermione Granger always is, Harry, you've got to stop coming up with clever reasons for doing stupid things. <laughs> and I get us, I... <laughs> I had pulled it out I, uh, before. It's the same. I, we, I guess we didn't talk about the, the other time, but he kind of also like puts in. He get, comes up with these bullshit, uh, you know, the, the fabricates a, you know a framework where like, oh, but I had no choice, and that and this is what you know what he does here, like, oh, but you would have said no, and so I had to do this. It was my hand was forced, and uh, the other one that made me think of this is what he said that like, oh, you know. Me and Quirrell didn't choose to have that fight. The the bullies did. I'm like, no, if he fucking did choose to have that fight, um, where he just sort of like immediately talks himself into pretending like, you know, what he did was the only option available. Um, 
and, and then this whole like thing about the, the Ender Wigan version of it was like, oh, well, yeah, we could have, you know, called the teachers and avoided that whole thing, but it just would have happened later. Um, and it's all sort of like very convenient logicalizing to get to the conclusion that he wanted to get to anyway. Um, but. And I think you, you pulled out that basically his conclusion is, but I know better than you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, which reminds me, like, basically calls it out as that later. But, um, but yeah, so I didn't see that I actually had pulled the quote about, um, like, so he's like, oh, if I had asked, you would have said no, but not because, not a valid no, because clearly if you didn't come to the same conclusion I did, then you wouldn't, then it wouldn't be valid. Um, but only because you would be forced to say no. And what he said was, that's not the responsible thing to do, Hermione. It's what someone playing the role of a responsible girl would do. Yes, I thought of going to Professor McGonagall, but she would have only stopped the disaster once, probably probably before any disturbance happened in the first place, like by telling the bullies she knew. If the bullies got punished just for plotting, it would be by losing house points, or at worst, a day's detention. Not anything that would really scare them. And then the bullies would have tried again fewer of them with better operational security, so I didn't hear about it. They would probably ambush one of you alone. Professor McGonagall doesn't have the authority to do something scary enough to protect you, and she wouldn't have overstepped her authority because she's not really responsible. Um, and that's, again, like, that's Ender Wigan logic, so which then is like, okay, uh, we're, not, we're not supposed to just completely disagree with it. Um, but, I mean, it's just so, like... I, I like the big the big reason it rubs me the wrong way is it so it just discounts the possibility that there's somebody else in the room with a valid point of view um and that like like all valid thoughts to be had have already been thought through and you've arrived at the best decision and it's just clearly in everybody's best interest to do what you say i kind of wonder what would have happened if you'd gone to dumbledore who is not above like doing something above and beyond mm-hmm. and saying hey look there's about to be 40-something bullies who are going to attack, you know, our beloved heroines. Um, what do you want to do about it? Like, I think with prep time, Dumbledore would have come up with something. Like, if Dumbledore had manifested himself in that hallway and shut them down. Mm-hmm. I don't know. See, I, again, I, I, I'm i torn because that would have scared them away. But it would have been a lot like calling Professor McGonagall, but with more oomph. Yeah. Although, like, I get, like, we're like, starting to, like... Just step out of like the weird fantasy that this is and think about it like really um, bullying is not cured by stronger bullying in the opposite direction like so if we're really looking at this like as an actual ethical dilemma like that is totally not a, the helpful thing to do for anybody like the real world outcome to this later is that somebody shows up with a gun and like violence gets worse like n- no actual problem has been solved Right, so then Harry would say that's why you bring a gun to the first fight. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, and it's all and it's yeah. again like it's it's getting a, really as we're talking through this like how it's it's getting back to this more like grandiose Harry that used to be there and not that kind of more realistic and humble and less about himself Harry that we had been seeing. Well, it, and it's tough, and like I, you know, so here's um, like. I, I, I was going to shoehorn it in earlier, but it actually fits really at any point in this conversation. Here's the last Marvel tie-in I was going to make. <laughs> um, in the MCU version of Spider-Man, we don't get the, with great power comes great responsibility. Instead, we get what Peter says is, when you can do when you can do the things that I can, but you don't, and then the bad things happen, they happen because of you. And I think, uh, you know, Peter's got different motivations than Harry, I think, but like the, the crux of it is the same. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's Peter, pretty Peter much what understands. Her, well, what was that? That's pretty much what Harry's 
telling himself. So yeah, it's just yeah, I think it's yeah. just not. I, th- I think true. I think I think Peter's more motivated by like fear of uh, of guilt for not doing enough. Yeah, which is similar probably to what actually is coming over Harry. Um, but what I put in there is that my boy Spider Man understands heroic responsibility. <laughs> um, so like you know wh- what what do you do if you're Spider Man or uh, whatever wolverine or or harry in this case and somebody says no no just leave me alone like do you stand there and watch them get their ass kicked well yeah that's i'm so again i think like that's the like fake like the false choice that harry framed it in so he could do what he wanted um it's not oh do i just not do anything and let hermione get her ass kicked or do I do the grandiose thing? Like there are other choices in between, which are like the like yes, go to Professor McGonagall. Like framing that as like oh, going to Professor McGonagall would solve nothing. Like you know, it totally would solve something. Or like okay, yes, that's true. Something else bad would happen. But there are, you know, an infinite number of other choices that don't involve making yourself the center of attention and becoming just the bully in a white suit. You know, like oh, but I did it for good reasons, and so you know, my physical intimidation of everybody else is good. You know, it's like, yeah. Um, yeah. It's so, yeah, it's, it's putting it like, it's making a false, like it's taking the, okay, definitely we can't take that choice. And the only other choice is the one I would like to do. I mean, yeah, it, the fact that, I mean, I think the way that this, he, he gives his rationalization for why he didn't consult Hermione. I feel like the best thing to do, and I think that's actually what they settle on here is like, look, and Hermione basically says, look, I promise I'll actually try to listen to you if you come to me with, with a, a request or if you're with my life. And that's the best I can offer. Like, I will do my best to actually listen to you um, and take it seriously. But you have to ask first. And I mean, but that, again, does put you in the weird spot. Because like, if she says, no, we got this. If, she, if for some mm-hmm. idiot reason Hermione said that, then even going to Professor McGonagall would have been off the table, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess what's weird about it though is like if, like in the real world, um, not only do you like not run into situations like this, but also it's not like a choice. It's not like, oh, it's all down to me. There are no other options. And it's either I fix the world or everything goes to shit. Like I've, now having said that, like, like that's clearly just kind of a self involved, grandiose way of looking at the world that you're the only one capable of fixing anything. Um, like real world situations, you know, there, the choice isn't, it's not down to, oh, if I don't make this one choice, everything's going to go to crap. It's, you know, lots of shades of gray in between and lots of other people that need to be involved. So, I mean, like real world rarely has situations that are like this, you know, cut and dry to, in order to make this bad decision. Sure, but luckily this is a story. But but your point's taken. Well, yeah, right? it's and like it's it. a story, like, and, but only to the extent that we actually care about how it might apply to our lives, right? And I think, like, you know, Harry, I I, I think it's because I've always had a similar sense of what he calls heroic responsibility. He says it means that whatever happens, no matter what, it's always your fault. Well, yeah, because, you yeah. know, even if your solution is to go to trust, you know, go go run and tell a trusted authority. Like, that's still the decision you made. And so whatever comes from that, that's on you for choosing that course of action over another course. Yeah, and the, but, and the, but the choice he made here was to fight physical intimidation with physical intimidation, to betray the trust of his friend, to 
make everybody in the school fall into some kind of infantilized state of thinking they need to be saved by supernatural powers rather than like dealing with the situation in front of them. Um, oh yeah, Harry's Harry's approach, uh, I think, was suboptimal. <laughs> suboptimal. Um, it was it was uh, optimally fun. Yeah. Don't get me wrong, but like, and Harry kind of drives the point home this way. He says there just aren't any excuses. Uh, you know, you've got to get the job done no matter what. That's why I say you're not thinking responsibly, Hermione. Thinking that your job is done when you tell Professor McGonagall. That isn't her- that isn't heroin thinking. Like Hannah being beat up is okay then because it isn't your fault anymore. Like so for Harry, it's always your fault. Yeah. And I think I think what what it comes down to, and this is what I realized, you know, years ago, is that like you know, and I still have these these thinking impulses. And so instead of just like doing things, which I really, you know, again, you don't have a chance really in normal life to just do weird heroic shit with other people's lives. But you still like, so now what you could do is just loop in the person that you're yeah. concerned about. Yeah, the, like so, the lone wolf aspect to it is not a necessary component. Right. But I do totally get his, his thinking of like, look, you know, saying, well, I tried and now, hey, my hands are clean. I, I called I called Professor McGonagall. Things are safe now. That's not enough because someone still got hurt. And like if you could have done more and didn't, yeah. then that person being hurt is still on you. Right. Yeah. You know, like I'm trying to put like what would the Hermione version of this have been? It would have been Hermione asking lots of people for help, including the person that she's trying to help and like not 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 keeping everybody in the loop and also trying to involve as many people as possible um, instead of like, you know, taking the savior of humanity approach to it. That's actually an interesting thing. That's maybe that's what Hermione would have thought of because her first thought was tell professor McGonagall. And so like save Harry and, and her had had like, rather than Harry pass her a note saying you're about to be ambushed. And she's like, Oh, I'll go tell professor McGonagall. But if they had like an hour to plan. Yeah. Well, actually, I'm like, or said, the thing that maybe I thought was going to happen would have been like Hermione could have gotten the entire school to say, no, fuck this. You don't get to do this anymore. And it would have been like a, you know, a collective act. Right. Um, but yeah. yeah. At the very least, I feel like she could have, instead of staging a protest outside the headmaster's office, you know, convened with Dumbledore, McGonagall, Flitwick, you know, all the heads of house, mm-hmm. probably even drag Snape in there and say, look, they're about, they, here's what I'm told was going to happen because we've got a seer or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, 44 bullies are about to jump and beat the shit out of all of us. So what do you guys want to do about this? But of course, that doesn't actually abdicate responsibility, right? Because yeah. if all they had said was like, well, you know, boys will be boys or schools will be schools. Like, that's not... That, so, like, then your your attempt to try and find a a meeting through a, a responsible council that also doesn't work, right? Yeah. Well, I yeah, but um, I, I guess like like sides, if, guess if all of that at. was true, well, except I mean, it's not both sides in that the side that involves not consulting anybody else and not letting anybody else participate in that decision is not is neither of those sides. <laughs> You know, that's not the, like, that's not abdicating responsibility. Like, you can still, like, you do that and then decide, okay, is, you know, is that, it's not, oh, I told somebody else and now I don't have to do anything. It's okay, yeah, you're going to do something, but you're not going to do that something completely unilaterally. Like, you're going to involve other people in that decision because you're not the only opinion worth having. Yeah, no, I think... I think that's a good way to put it. In fact, he pulled out the quote that Harry gets around to saying something similar. Um, when he says, uh, 
but oh yeah um she says uh and because you disagree mr potter it doesn't mean you get the get the final say and then then you pulled out that quote of what he says here. he said uh yeah well said harry you asked what was so awful about having to ask you first and it was a surprisingly good question so i examined my mind and that's what i found um, I like that too, because like after, and I think this is you and I had kind of like gone back and forth a little bit as we were like putting our notes together, and I saw that, and so I, I liked, and I think that's what I liked about these two chapters is, um, I, like I think this is here, like Harry saying, like you know what, I'm kind of not right, um, not not so much he's like okay I'm wrong, but Harry's like you know what I'm not really sure, and so I just am giving you an honest answer of you asked, and so I'm looking, and so I think he's like to some extent. N- Agreeing not to completely defend everything he did. Um, not necessarily like so much admitting that he's wrong or apologizing for it, but just being like, you know what, maybe I'm not right here. I'm not sure. Um, and that's sort of like how this whole interchange, like this with Hermione and his previous one with, with Dumbledore, is it felt like, like almost like Yudkowsky didn't come into this with like deciding that, you know, there's a certain outcome and message he wanted to give at the end of this that he's sort of like, letting us you know walk like he's having harry and hermione have that conflict and harry and dumbledore have that conflict and he's kind of like you know hashing that out for himself like in the story um and i think for that, yeah it doesn't come out with a, like a very like clean moral the story and this is definitely the right answer it's kind of like conflicted yeah and that's why i always roll my eyes when i read bad reviews of this book online that are like well you know the author just made himself an insert as the character of harry he totally and he's right well, but it the just thing didn't is, stay that way. But like, I think it started out no, that no, way. Don't, totally don't get me wrong. There are, there are definitely aspects. Yeah. Harry is the closest character to him. Yeah. But if he wrote himself in for Harry to always be right and everyone else to always be wrong, we wouldn't end up with ambiguities like this. Yeah. Well, I, th- I like, like the, big picture. I think, uh, especially because this was written over such a long period of time, I think it started out being that, and it sort of has grown into this other thing. I don't think it doesn't feel to me like this started out with this vision of how it was going to roll out that that wasn't the the like larger whatever however this plot works out was probably there but this sort of like you know mental emotional journey of harry doesn't feel like this was like plotted out and planned this feels like yeah i think this is like this is you know because to some extent this is like writing your own little journal and working your shit out um yeah we'll have to ask him (laughs) but like the well, I'll reach out to him at some point. But um, I thought he was dead. I think that Isn't he dead? He's the author. He's dead. Oh yeah, all authors are dead. Yeah, that's that's a weird spot <laughs> to be in. But no, um, the uh, like, it's. I guess what I'm getting at is that yeah, it, it's entirely possible that maybe you know he just got better at writing as it went along, or it just grew like you said into more than he had planned. Uh, maybe he thought it would be like, all right, I'll write a quick a quick little Harry Potter fan fiction where it just takes science and in magic. And then, honestly, we've kind of dropped that, right? Like, other than making, you know, we still talk about magic in a more, like, articulate way. Like, I like I pulled out with all the um, ritual stuff. But we haven't done, like, a science chapter in a while. Like, a science on magic chapter. Um, yeah. yeah, I think, well, yeah, it's that, just that sort of like, like it sort of it's sort of, like, become incorporated so in the book. Maybe that was going to be the original yeah. thrust of the book. Well, I think, because Harry's still being very science-y, rationalist-y. Um, but I think it's just sort of like it's no yeah. longer in opposition to the magic stuff. Like magic is just now the air we breathe, and so is science, and they're kind of not in conflict anymore. Yeah, but he hasn't done like an investigation into yeah, magic since true. like twenty chapter twenty five or that's something. True. Yeah. But oh, and I want to take back what I said. I think Harry's motivation and Peter Parker's motivation are exactly the same because of this line here. He says, um, "You know, if I talk to you, then you might have had to say no," and then. 
And then 44 bullies would have taken turns beating up Hannah Abbott, and it would be all my fault because I knew, and even if I didn't really want reality to be that way, I knew that's how it would go. I'm pretty sure that was my secret, wordless, unutterable fear. So I take it back. I think Peter and Harry are motivated, motivated by exactly <laughs> the same thing, which is fear of guilt. Fear of guilt. That's oh, solid. By that. And then, of course, Hermione says very fairly, it's my life. She bursts out. Um, she, she could imagine what it would be like with Harry messing with her all the time, constantly inventing justifications to not just ask her first and not to listen to her objections. She wouldn't have to win an art. She shouldn't have to win an argument to just. And then it cuts to her talking again. There'll always be some reason. You can always say I'm not thinking right. I want my own life. Otherwise, I'll walk away, Harry. I really will. I mean it. And like, I totally get that. Oh, sorry, you pulled out that line. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, like well, she says, hey, I, sh- I shouldn't have to make promises just to be consulted about my own life. Yeah, so she says, like, you have to promise to to ask me. He's like, okay, I will, but you you have to promise that you basically. He's like, you have to promise to think right. Like, if if I if I tell you first, then you have to think right about it. Um, and so she's like, you know, I shouldn't have to promise you anything in order for you to just you know clue me in on what you're planning for my life. Um. Yeah, I think it's also like really telling. Like, we pretty much take anything Hermione says as not to be dismissed ever. Um, and so I think, like, if you put Harry in conflict with Hermione about anything, then it kind of is like an immediate clue that there's going to be some validity to Hermione's side of it. Um, yeah, and yeah, that's that's mainly what I like about it. And you know, Harry isn't just uh, like. Again, he's not coming out on top in every interaction. You know, the, yeah. the last two that he's had with Dumbledore and Hermione here, there is serious, awesome ambiguity as to like what should one do here, who's right, yeah. and it's it's clear that like it's not always one hundred percent Harry, and that's the, kind of the annoying thing that people will shit on this book for, and they clearly didn't get this far when they wrote the reviews, right? Fair if they read you know through the first five chapters and they felt that way, then fine, but. This character is much more grown up and nuanced. Um, I do like the, uh, like, this kind of, you know, so they sort of uh, segue from that conversation. And I think they're they're just like walking away for, or walking in silence for a while. And then Harry says, Hermione, I've been watching you and thinking since the day you said you were going to be a hero. You've got the courage. You'll do. You'll fight for what's right, even in the face of enemies that would scare other people away. Um, you've certainly got the raw intelligence for it, and you're probably a better person inside than I am. <laughs> but even so, well, to be honest, Hermione, I can't quite see you filling Dumbledore's shoes, leading Magical Britain's fight against you-know-who. Not yet, anyway. And, yeah, and Hermione is sort of like just surprised, like that was Hermione wasn't even picturing that. Like there wasn't there wasn't a goal in her head. And it wasn't really one that came to my head either when she said she wanted to be a hero. I didn't picture her. Because that's just not the Hermione thing to do is to lead armies and shoot deadly curses at bad guys, right? Yeah. I thought what stuck out to me about the way he said that it was such sort of like a vague, like nonspecific way. It's like, oh, just, you know, filling Dumbledore's shoes. Uh, It sort of stuck out as kind of like like his, oh, you're not up to the task and then not really saying what the task is. Yeah. made it at least for me it like kind of stuck in his like okay this is kind of another like flaw in the way harry's thinking about all this like what is it you know what does he need to be in order to be a hero it's kind of like hard for even him to articulate he might also be kind of constrained by the fact that harry is now the kind of hero that has to uh 
deal with possibly an unleashed evil Bellatrix Black and uh, Dumbledore is raised to the Order of the Phoenix. Dumbledore thinks they're at war again and Harry believes because he's told from you know Dumbledore and Destiny that he has to fight the Dark Lord and he's like I really can't imagine Hermione doing that. Yeah. Um, but he says that you know like maybe I've just read too many stories where the heroes never do the sensible thing and follow the rules and tell their Professor McGonagall's. So my brain doesn't think you're, he says, oh, I, I forgot to preface that. He says, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I've just read too many stories where the heroes never do the sensible thing and follow the rules and tell their, and tell their Professor McGonagall's. So my brain doesn't think you're a proper storybook hero. Maybe it's you who's the sane one, Hermione, and it's just me who's being silly. I like that a lot. Yeah. It's, a, it's a nice, honest concession. Yeah. Um, and he's not saying, I am the silly one, you're right, but he's, he seems to be actually considering it. But he says, uh, but every time you talk about following the rules or relying on teachers, I get that same feeling like it's bound up with the one last thing that's stopping you. The one thing that the one last thing that puts your PC self to sleep and turns you back into an NPC. Maybe that's why Dumbledore said I should have had wicked step. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he talks about, uh, I guess, yeah, before we, because I then pulled a quote about that. But I guess like his whole like, oh, if, you know, I have to think this through because you won't think it. You know, you won't come to the correct conclusion and it's all up to me. Like, reminds me of, like, a lot. I can't remember which part of the story it was about, but just kind of like Harry's, like, Harry feeling this almost like obligation to be God um, and that, you know, ev- like everything is up to him. Nobody else will do what needs to be done if he doesn't do it. And just kind of like the weariness that causes him. Um, and that sort of like remind like, this kind of uh, like, oh, if, you know, if Hannah Abbott will get, you know, beaten up by 40 people unless I do something about it. Um, just like not, not being willing to trust or, or, you know, attempt, you know, a version of the scenario that, that has other people also handling the situation. Um, and it kind of just, I was just like a kind of a weird, overwhelmed, like loneliness that he has about like, oh, you know, if anything I don't take care of won't be taken care of. Um, yeah. yeah. No, I like that a lot. And it's, it's, it's interesting because, uh, like, you, you know, you imagine God Harry and then you imagine God Hermione, like what the different kinds of worlds they would craft. Mm-hmm. Like Harry, Harry would be like, all right, I got this figured out. I'll handle everything. And Heine would be, again, from her first battle as as a general, she'd be like, I'll consult my trusted lieutenants uh-huh. who, I'll, who I will likewise level up and make everybody better. And like that's how I pictured it anyway, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, Hermione has a very different vision of what like being the ultimate hero would be like. like. She wouldn't be the light lord and everyone would take her mark. She would be on the round table of the light council <laughs> right and she'd be a jedi I, I, there's no king of the yeah. jedis it's yeah, just the it, jedi exactly. council I, I i sort of see it that way and it, it's it's funny tongue-in-cheek but that's that's kind of exactly how i picture it yeah. Her, hermione doesn't isn't so full of herself that she thinks i can run the world just fine she would say okay cool if i suddenly found you know the the ring of godhood and i became all-powerful you know, the first thing I would do is ask my trusted friends what what their things are, and I would weigh them, and I would uh, deliberate. Harry would just go about, you know, shaping reality however he yeah. thought best. What's funny, though, is there's, like, an element to it, though, too. With, like, it's – I think also he's got this, like, quarrel kind of, like, 
lust for power thing in there too, but that a lot of it is, it's not power, it's fear that he's like afraid that it won't be handled correctly. And he's the only one that can, um, so it's not, I mean, it's not all healthy or even like flattering or attractive, but it's not, there's, there's part of it that isn't malevolent. It's just, or even greedy. It's just fear. Um, so yeah, yeah. but yeah, anyways, so, but the, so when he, so he talks about how like Dumbledore says, oh, maybe we should have had uh, evil step parents, um, or I should have had evil step parents. And basically like talking about how that, like, and then that that's what got him into that like lone wolf mindset is that you know there's um that if you're you know if you have that hard upbringing um that you stop thinking that there's anything you can trust and you start thinking that uh it's up to you to solve anything um and then he and he ties that into um his relationship with quarrel he says, but him, Quirrell, I can't trust to be good. Even if it's sad, I think that's part of the environment that creates what Dumbledore calls a hero. People who don't have anyone else to shove finally, to shove final responsibility onto. And that's why they form the mental habit of tracking everything themselves. Um, and that actually, so that ties into everything we've just been talking about, but I had, uh, that stuck out to me and I pulled it because it again reminded me of the Ender Wiggins stuff that one of the, um, things they purposely do to him in the beginning is uh, purposely rob him of any sense of security that once he starts to master something, they yank it out from under him uh, to, and I tried to like find the right quote for it, but it's basically like we can't ever let him think that, that somebody is going to help him. Um, and so, yeah, so I think that's a lot of, of the same thing that's going on. And I think that's what he's talking about here is that like, but he seems to be almost like a little bit self-reflective too. He's like, oh yeah, you know, being like in this constant position of unsafety has made me like think I have to take the entire world on. And he's sort of saying that in a way where he's, he does kind of question is like not being good. Like that's okay. Maybe that's not the best way for me to deal with the world. Um, cause he yelled like, this is part of the way he says like, oh, may, you know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm crazy. And you've got, you've thought of the right way to do it, Hermione. So he's kind of acknowledging the faults. Yeah. And that puts Hermione in mind of one of the lines from Godric Gryffindor's super short autobiography. Oh, yeah. And this is, this would make a sick tattoo if I ever thought of getting a text <laughs> tattoo. It says, no rescuer hath the rescuer. No lord hath the, hath the champion. No mother and no father. Only nothingness above. And that's that's the heroic responsibility in, in a sentence, right? Yeah. And it was that. So, and then it ends with the the. Um, I mean, I have to jump to the the end there, but the so the the last part of the chapter is that in Latin. But is that is that Latin like original, or is that Latin just like is this all just from HPMOR? Or was this borrowed from something else seems like an odd no, thing to was, quote latin of your own thing it was a latin quote of this so what happened i remember finding a thread for this somewhere on uh some for it was i forget how i, I think i was looking up like the original source of it and yudkowski had written this line the god Godric gryffindor quote and then he's like hey what's the latin translation of this and then there was some discussion mm. among people who knew latin on how to make it like as accurate as possible because he wanted that line in the story too. In mm. apparently, God of Gryffindor spoke Latin. So, well, yeah, he didn't even point that because it was so long ago that he certainly didn't speak English. His English didn't exist. Man, magic would have been a lot easier if you already spoke Latin. That's true, right? 
You're just basically saying, lift this up. <laughs> That's true. If you did like the it'd be a lot less uh, less dramatic sounding in translation then. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and then I like this too. She says, do you trust Dumbledore? I mean, he's right here in our school and he's the most legendary hero in the whole world. He was the most legendary hero. Now he sets chickens on fire. <laughs> Honestly, does Dumbledore seem reliable to you? And it's a, it's tough because Dumbledore's in this weird nexus where he's like he's closed the part of the ch- the part of his life story where he's the hero, mm-hmm. right? And so he's he's not going to be out there, you know, slaying trolls and saving villages. Now he's stuck in meetings all day and whatever it else it is retired heroes do. Um, oh, and then this is the part where you pointed out too that uh, Harry says, "Oh, I thought of something I should tell you since it affects your life and all." Think of it as a down payment. <laughs> I can just imagine Hermione. It just says, what is it? Hermione said, but I imagine it being all trepidatious. Mm-hmm. And he says, I predict Spew is about, re- is about to retire. And he says, yeah, I mean, like I could be wrong, but the teacher, I think the teachers are going to clamp down on bullying hard. Um, like there's no way that they, basically there's no way that this, all this shit and all this ruckus won't have actually caused something to, to happen. Yeah. And he points that out. It's like, like, he sort of wants to make sure Hermione gives herself credit for this is a real thing that you've really like moved the needle on. Um, it wasn't just like some kind of symbolic act, like something's actually going to change because of what you did. Um, I also, I kind of liked it too, like putting this in that story, it made like, um, especially like in the beginning, like they're like, okay, we're going to go fight. You know, we're going to go find bullies to beat up was just sort of this like placeholder thing of like just activity, thing heroes do and kind of like the content of it didn't matter but kind of like leaving this that way sort of like acknowledged it as like okay no like bullying in school was not just the random you know symbolic placeholder for a bad thing uh because we needed a bad thing to fight but like oh this is an actual real problem in the real world um i don't know it's just sort of acknowledged as like being a real thing and not just like a you know arbitrary i don't know yeah, you and your friends didn't team up and beat this really hard video game. Yeah. You guys have had an actual nice consequence. And that was the really nice end to this chapter segment before it all gets just, you know, shit at your face. But I know, she's so sitting there kind of, she, She's walking away kind of smiling. She says, somehow, despite all the effort the eight of them put in, she hadn't expected that much. She, not, she hadn't expected it to actually work. They'd made a difference. <sighs> and then at the end of breakfast, she's standing in front of the head table getting a public dressing down from Snape who's ripping into her permanently disbanded your, your society's outlawed and um, this is my decision as a professor if you if your society or any member of it is discovered fighting in the hallways again Granger you'll be personally held responsible and expelled by me from the Hogwarts a school of witchcraft and wizardry <laughs> does he get to do that does any random teacher get to expel people apparently they do I'm not sure also so, so. I'm guessing he doesn't twirl a mustache only because he can't grow one <laughs> It would be like a very like greasy bigotes mustache. Oh yeah. Yes. Well, I mean, like he's what in his early thirties. Is he? I guess always. Yeah, he's got to be. Um, if he graduated with Harry's parents, right? So. Oh yeah, I guess uh, so. Like I, I'm, I'm guessing the fact that he can't grow yeah. a mustache on the fact that I can barely grow one. So, I'm gonna say that he's not twirling a mustache because he physically can't. There you go. Although he could magically apply a, a prosthetic mustache to his face. <laughs> yeah. yeah that's I mean, true. So you like, can't transfigure a mustache on you because you can't transfigure living stuff, but you could just glue a fake one on you with magic. 
Yes. All right, you're just being lazy, Snape. You need a, a mustache to twirl. Plus, he would look baller in like a, an evil goatee, wouldn't he? he would, uh, well, the evil goatee. See, that's like the the conflicting visions of Snape. Snape's always described as like like greasy and and nasty, and then the, that doesn't fit. Like the evil goatee thing is a very like sharp, you know, well manicured look. But like the like like semi like Fu Manchu or or you know bigotes like long ass greasy. I'm doing like a hand gesture, which is probably not coming across very well in podcast form, but the like really long, greasy black mustache that like just comes off the side of his face and like, then like dangles down like three or four inches below his chin. That could be a look. That could be a look. Anyway. So I like how it describes this and it just, I don't know. How did it hit you before I described how it hit me? It was, I get like rage. Wasn't the right word. It was just like really sad and just like profoundly unfair and it's and like you know cartoonishly unfair uh but there was something so but you, but yeah so unfair enough that you should be like all pissed off about it but it was just i guess maybe like it like like flipped the odometer on it and just just like went back to be like this is so depressingly awful i think maybe because of like the the end paying off like it's not it wasn't just like the unfairness of what he did but then that nobody um stood it so uh, we can just fast forward to the so snape Disbands spew, takes 100 points from Ravenclaw, gives her two weeks' detention, and says, now get the fuck out of here. And she walks away, and then she, like, turns around and comes back uh, and basically sort of, like, pleads to the entire, you know, all the teachers sitting up on the stage um, at the head table. Um, and, like, she's like, aren't you guys going to do anything? And they totally don't. Uh, and we also see that um, McGonagall isn't even there, uh, sort of conspicuous, like, like we probably she knew this was coming and just couldn't even stand to be there for it. So I think that maybe that was the element to it. The fact that she sort of like asks for help in a very like kind of unambiguously, like they really should do something about it. Um, and that they don't sort of, that's what kind of made it like more sad than enraging. Um, was just sort of like the, like the hopelessness of it. I, I feel you completely. And, uh, the voice actress for Hermione totally nails this. Like the line where it's like, why aren't any of you saying anything? Her voice is trembling with the last of her hope, the last desperate reach for help from that place inside her. You know what he's doing is wrong. Like, I don't know how many takes that took or what, but it sounded like she was like the, the, the woman who did the voice for Hermione. Like it sounded like she was in exactly that situation, standing in front of the, like, I don't know. It was peak acting. <laughs> that, that is, that is, uh, expensive tier performance. Yeah. So, so I, yeah. Was, and then you're like trying to imagine like, yeah, like the teachers that are sitting there. Cause yeah, it's just a bunch of, uh, everybody disappointing themselves and everybody else at the same time. And you're just wanting, like, especially as we've talked this through is like, as it does sort of at least, seem, I don't know if it's planned, but it like, I like, like the idea of it fitting of Dumbledore seeing this as the like really, really shitty situation that he's decided he has to put up with. Um, that like, this is what he thinks was like the trade off between, okay, it's either this or students murdering each other in the hallway and this sucks, but students murdering each other in the hallway is worse. Um, and again, you don't like, is that really the choice? But like, I could see that as that's, that's the choice he thinks he's making. Um, and like how shitty that feels for him too. Like no, nobody's having, the only person having a good time is Snape um, <laughs> and Coral. 
Um, yeah, Quirrell is just a wild. Yeah, Quirrell's, Quirrell's I, loving both sides of this because, like, he's just he thinks that's kind of awesome. And then, so that then that's the other yeah, last thing is as she walks away and um, Snape has taken a hundred points from Ravenclaw uh, just because fuck you. Um, Quirrell goes hundred points to Ravenclaw for doing the right thing. Um, so like he gets to enjoy that, and both of you gets to like fuck with Snape just because and. Uh, he gets to enjoy the anarchy and then enjoy tossing a little more anarchy into the anarchy. Yeah, I just responded to that with, uh, like, as if it was a Slack emoji, anarchy. <laughs> um, I think that, uh, like, I think Kroll said at some point that he doesn't like bullies. Um, yeah. So I think that he, he actually supported the goal of cutting down bullying. But, like, I'm with you. I think that he, he, he enjoyed throwing this in Snape's face. Yeah. I think um, he enjoyed just kind of like fucking with people way more than he gives a shit about bullying. You know, <laughs> that's entirely possible. Um, and, uh, I like his phrasing. He says 100 points to miss Granger for doing what is right. Yeah. And it's like, all right. And if he had just said hundred points to miss Granger, Snape could have just bit back and he said hundred points away. And they could have just talked themselves through the rest of breakfast. Infinity, but, Infinity plus one. But he said, but he said for doing what is right, and it's like okay, well, hundred points to miss against Miss Granger for doing what is wrong. Fuck you, Quirrell. Like <laughs> you can't really push back because of that clever phrasing of it. Um, I, and then uh, she gets back and sits next to Harry and says, uh, "It's all right." You know, she doesn't even look at him or give him. You know, or in fact, she doesn't even think about it. She just is kind of just on autopilot. She says, "It's fine. You don't have to do anything." But can you see if you get me out of Snape's detentions like you did yourself that time and. Harry kind of just jerks his head in a, in a in a nod, and he says, "I I'm I'm sorry. This is all my fault." Yeah, she's like, "No, <laughs> Don't be no ridiculous, yeah. Harry." <laughs> yeah, like how she's like being bright, like Harry's imagining, like she's just like brave is the wrong word, but she's sort of like, you know, taking it for what it is, and Harry's like just feeling super guilty about it. She's like, "No, I like this is my thing. I'm dealing with it." Right. And like, because Harry of his, his unhealthy sense of heroic responsibility, yeah. and I call it unhealthy as someone who shares that sense of responsibility, he's thinking, I should have seen this coming. I should have gone to the headmaster this morning and said, you better, you know, not let anything happen to her, but I didn't. And now it's my fault. And, mm-hmm. um, it's like, you know, I, I get how he's already spiraling, but she's just like, don't be ridiculous. Yeah. And, um, she, she goes fine with it. And, um, she says, and her voice said, if you want to break school rules or something, you can ask me about it. I promise I won't just say no. <laughs> I like to, like, uh, we kind of skipped over it, but, um, like, when this is happening, we get kind of a description of, oh, yeah, that, um, that Harry is having to restrain himself from kind of, like, trying to jump in and be all boy who lived about it. Um, and that I, and what I liked about that, it was, that, like, it was clearly – like that is the act of Harry respecting her wishes. Um, so I don't know. I just kind of like, right. You, you can imagine him just standing up and saying, professor Severus yeah, Snape. Just pulling some you kind know, of, you will do no such thing there. and making it this whole business. Yeah. Um, but I, and Harry's been like super, sitting down. he's been super consistent. I think this, the whole book of like the way he treats Hermione is always like very, like she is my friend and equal. Um, like he fucks stuff up, but, um, but he's never like just dismissive of her. Yeah. That's a good point. I, yeah. I don't have much else to add on that. I do got to add in the, that we get a line break and then we get the, 
OG Godric Gryffindor. Um, actually, and it's extra fun. And I keep referencing the audiobook, A, because it's awesome, B, because we're on the podcast's feed, but C, because I always listen to the, to the chapters um, before I read them for these episodes. And uh, the the Latin here, you correct my... You want to read it since you actually can probably pronounce it better than okay, me? I don't know if I pronounce it. Uh, non est salvatori salvator neque defensori dominus nec pater nec mater nihil supernum. Rather be, there is no savior for the savior. There is no defense for the Lord. There is nor mother nor father nor... What is What was the original? Nothing is about. Oh, no, uh, oh, nothing is about. Yeah, Anyway, fun fact: uh, Inyash had uh, Eliezer Yudkowsky do the God of Gryffindor quote. Oh, really? Cool. Yeah. Nice. Fun moment for everybody. Twelve. At least for twelve oh two. Which should be all of you. The audiobook is delightful, and reading with your ears is awesome. You get to not have to hold a book or look at a screen and read a book at the same time. It's like the best of both worlds. Yeah, if any of us could, Today, I got to do, if, if they could I do another one, and read. if they could do another one and just get somebody else to do Inuyasha's part, be sweet. Oh it yeah, so when, if someone wants to redo this project from the ground you up, <laughs> now you can keep all the other voices. That's fine. You just have to swap out Inuyasha's because I can't, I can't not see him reading it. I hear you. It it would be interesting. I don't know if I've had. Uh, nothing comes to mind. I've met people who now do podcasts, but I, I've already spoken with them. And they don't do audiobooks, but it is weird. So, like, because Harry puts on, like, a, or Harry. See, I already did it in my head. Inyash puts on a lighter voice when he's doing Harry. And so I imagine you're picturing I almost think that, the that actually, adult that you know. Yeah, well, and I think maybe that even makes I spent a while since I tried listening to it again. But uh, I think, it, like, even that, that makes it even worse because then I can just picture Inyash doing not Inyash's voice. And it makes it even more the fact that it's Inyash. I don't know if that makes any his, sense. When he does Professor Quirrell, his his like motivation, like his headspace for it, is Magneto from the nineties X Men. <laughs> That's like a cartoon. really good fit. Like yeah, that, like way so of looking at the world. I could see that. You, you honestly, maybe should you know this? This chapter's not all that long to listen to. Maybe you could just listen I to this one, yeah. um, or maybe even just the end. But the other part, and maybe I'll just send you the sound bite, unless you want to go back and listen to the one with uh, the protest. But when Drake does the <laughs> noise, it's it's fucking hilarious. Nice. So, anyway, that's our chapters for this week, man. That was cool. I like this. This is a good one. Cool. Me too. And we are wrapping up the uh, self-actualization arc for the next reading. We're doing uh, chapters seventy-six and seventy-seven. Oh, that's it. No, that, that's the that's a new arc, then, though, right? Interlude uh, right after with that. the confessor. Uh, yeah, but it's like still, an interlude. Oh, Chapter 77 oh, okay. is uh, self-actualization aftermath. Oh, okay. oh, so it's like I was really um, into interlude. Gotcha. I should probably point out, or I guess, well, not point out, I should think ahead. I'm not sure how I'm going to break up the chapters after that, because, like, I mean, this is actually not really needing needed to be on the air talk, but Taboo Tradeoffs is, like, a super long chapter, and it came out after a really long break, too, so mm. it was fun to, it was a big treat to get something that took forever to read. That might be its own chapter. Oh, uh, it's, uh, oh man, shit's picking up. 39 pages is that chapter. I'm excited. Uh, so, with that, dude, let's call it. That was uh, that's it. We called it. next week, once again, 76 and 77. Cool. Bye, everybody. Any final thoughts or anything? Um, I got no thoughts. All okay. right, then, we'll, then that's, that's, <laughs> that's a wrap. It. See you all next week. Bye-bye.